Well, that's new. I hope that doesn't come across. I was not pers- I was not expecting that. Well, anyway, this is There Will Be Bourbon. Tis I, Eric Bandazeski, and I am with Andrew. I already forgot his, his last name. It's Mullins. Oh. It's not Mick Mullins. He's, um, it's Andrew Mullins, and I will describe who this a fine young American is uh, just after I discuss with you what bourbon we will be having tonight it will be a little iw harper 15 year this is by far my favorite thing that is not produced by the buffalo trace distillery it's actually the bottle that i really love as well look at that thing of beauty looks like straight out of 1950s Mad Men. um the cool thing about them real quick as i bring that up is that they're made by the diageo company right so diageo brought bullet they brought a few other things and then this brand Hadn't been sold in the United States for about the last, uh, I think it was, they stopped selling it probably like the last 20 years. So like from 95 to 2015, I believe. But the brand's been around since the late 1870s or early 1870s. Uh, Diageo bought a bunch of products and they, they brought this one and they, they, they make it at the new Wetzel or the new Bernheim distillery, the Stiller Wetzel, I believe it's called. That's where Bullet's made as well. Um, and Bullet, if you don't know, is essentially just four roses because they, they, a rent, I guess, is a way to refer to it as some of their uh, their yeast strands and their their recipes. So it's just a little different version of, of Four Roses. Uh, I actually think it's better than the Four Roses stuff, but you know, to each their own, obviously, which we will find out because okay. once, once we see what Mister uh, Mister Mullins is drinking, then we can go on to that. But if you can find IW Harper 15 year, even the regular one is pretty solid. Uh, the IW Harper, the regular is, is about 30 to 40 bucks. It's only an 81 proof, I believe. And this one's at 86 proof. Uh, MSRP is at like 75. I found it usually around that price, but as with everything that's aged, prices have gone up. I just found it in San Francisco on Memorial Day, actually in the city for 109. So I will, 109 is not excessive, right? When we get into some of the prices you see on some stuff that we already have discussed many times on this show, you'll, you'll realize it's best to just walk away. But, you know, hey, I didn't. So, Drew, what's up, brother? Hey, man. Uh, just what? living the dream. You're living the dream too, huh? So no nightmares yeah. recently? The kids, uh, the wife, the reason why I'm living the dream is because the kids, <laughs> putting, the wife's putting the kids to bed. There you go. Um, so real quick, before I tell everybody about you, um, you do like to imbibe in the, the bourbon as well. So what, 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 what do you got going on over there tonight? Well, I mean, I've, I've got my usual suspects that, that are great but, movie. But they're not in arm's reach. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm getting into the rise. I'm, I mean, I was a scotch drinker forever. Horrible. Uh, no, it's not. No, it's fine. When I drink, you know, bourbon. Um, but, um, scotch prices went up, yep. uh, with, uh, tariffs, I guess, a couple of years ago. Yeah. And I was just, I refused to pay $62 for a $45 bottle of scotch. That's, that's pretty ballsy considering what's been done to the bourbon prices though. Yeah. Yeah. Not knowing <laughs> Wait, the bourbon, 62 though. over 45 is not bad compared to stuff that should be 20 going for 120. Yeah. And, and the scotches, I, the single malts I like are pretty much Isla whiskeys. So, um, you know, I, I mean, I'll, I'll drink the other ones, but I just really have a, I favor the the stronger peatier. So you do uh, like the smoke because the Isla stuff is the stuff that's more peaty and smoky, right? Right. Right. And that's what I don't like. Pardon me. That's exactly the scotch I don't like. No, I like the fruitier stuff. 
the the stuff that tends to be a little bit more on the sweeter side. That's why I love bourbon so much because I started with scotch. You know, like right. that's the first thing I got into. My uncle got me into it, and then my brother. I was drinking those in the Callens, and I, I remember going to Vegas once. It was I had just reenlisted, right? This was like two thousand six, maybe. Um, so I had entirely too much money to spend. And I was like, Oh, look, McAllen 25 year shot, right? Never had it before. Got it. Uh, and to me, it tasted no better than the 12 year. So that was a very uh, powerful and expensive lesson is that never fall for the age statement because it's not that it's not good. It's just, you may be expecting something that the price is not going to live up to. And I don't know how, so how it goes with Scotch so much, but as with bourbon, like there tends to be a sweet spot, right? And I think the 15 year is stuff that's kind of just on that tail end of the sweetness because anything past that, you tend to get into the, uh, more of the oaky stuff because, you know, the, the evaporation and the weathering just takes its toll. And if you're in the oak, great, but some people aren't. Um, I don't mind it, but I just do, I do prefer stuff to be a little bit more on the vanilla and caramel side, which is, okay. I think, well, like you the are, 12 to 15 kind of years, like that. Anyway, so that kind of, What's that? you know, jives with your sweetness. Thank you. See, you noticed. Uh, but also real quick, look, America, um, there's this thing called fashion, right? And right. here on the show, we're going to start getting a little bit more fashionable. No, we're not. But tonight we do have the khaki members only jacket and we got the Joe Kent for Congress shirt. All right. So if you are in Washington's district state, district three, you need to hit up Joe Kent, vote for him, donate. Let's get Joe Kent in Congress. All right. You know, yeah, Joe? yeah, I, I, uh, Joe's I'm a good supporting dude. him as well. Um, That's how I got I'm the wearing shirt. a, uh, I don't know, something GSX kind of ah. shirt that uh, I thought, you know, would go okay with my uh, my deplorables uh, t-shirt <laughs> underneath. So deplorable. I just wanted a black t-shirt. So, um, you know. I got, yeah, well, that's why I bought the stock and mill coffee t-shirt because it was black. Um, yeah. So real quick, let's, so, so you guys know who I'm talking to here, right? Uh, First off, Drew was a Navy SEAL. So I have two questions for you, Drew. Number one, did no you book. shoot Osama bin Laden? I did not. Okay. Have you written a book? No. All right. So he's the no, most anti-SEAL so far at this point already. <laughs> and and my hair is, I've just forgotten about it anymore. I, I don't, I've never used hair products. Never? Never. Because I'm, I'm looking at your, one of your pictures of you when you were deployed. Uh I guess your hair's not, it looks the same. You actually look the exact same. Honestly, it's the exact same picture. It, it, that's from not taking a, uh, a bath for three days. And then, <laughs> that was pretty standard, right? Yeah. So, okay. So Drew, you served in the, you served for 23 years in the SEAL teams, uh, rose to the rank of master chief. And then you, you did the Mustang SEAL. Look at you yeah. commissioning as Mustang. And the, the, Mustang, the Mustang, just to be honest, because I don't want a bunch of master chiefs <laughs> uh, the master chief thing. I don't want a bunch of master chiefs pounce, pouncing on me. I was up for master chief. Mm -hmm. uh, ah, oh, so you were, pro you were promotable. Yeah, I was up for it. And, uh, I, you know, I had good, good, I, I was a early select candidate. And at the same time, uh, it was like at the 17 year mark. And, um, or maybe it was, yeah, it was around, around 16 year mark, I guess. So, so I was kind of early. But I, I thought about, hey, I'll just put in a, a, a commission package, right? Mm -hmm. And and the option usually is you can check the block for what, what was called an LDO, or you could check the block for warrant. Mm -hmm. And I said, nah, I don't want to be a warrant, you know, and then run a training cell forever. Because where I was at the time, I was I was operating still. And okay. uh, so I just said, ah, fuck it. Or, or can <laughs> we say that on the air? 
Yeah, um, you can say whatever the hell you want on here. Yeah, and uh, I just checked the block for LDO. So um, actually, uh, it's a funny story. I went out on a deployment in 2002. So we were, we were kind of early. We were in, in country early doing some OPE and all that stuff. What is OPE for those of uh, us? Operational preparation of the environment. Uh, oh, so you're prepping the battlefield. Yeah, yeah battlefield. Stuff. Okay. Yeah. So Army yeah. and Navy, little different terms. Got it. Yeah, OPB, OP, OPE, we, we, we use the same stuff. I, I probably got it wrong. No, but it was a joint it team. It was, a, it was an interagency team. Anyway, um, so I get, uh, I was on a recon and on Falcon View, I got a, a message saying, hey, you got selected for a lieutenant, yeah. or not lieutenant, uh, a commission. And then um, I might have the order wrong, but at the, almost within the same week, uh, I got selected for master chief. So I had this dilemma, right? And, and at, at the time I was married um, and I looked at, well, let's, let's see, let's do- uh, It's all about money at that point. Right? Retirement, 27 years, whatever. And um, it was just way better. I, so I, I turned down uh, master chief. Now, the thing is when you're, when you're commissioned like that, you still are your highest enlisted rank. Right. You have to In do- terms of pay time and service, right? Yeah. So if you don't, you revert back. Okay. Mm-hmm. So um, for a while I was, uh, when it came time to retire, I went, was going through my med script, med board and uh, it, you know, they were like, yeah, well, you're going to revert back. I'm like, yeah, fine, whatever. Um, and so I had to go buy the freaking master chief whole uniform and all this stuff. And then I went, I went to my, a med board because my squadron surgeon said, Hey, you know, you're pretty fucked up. Um, have you ever thought about that? And, and I'm like, nah, you know, so anyways, long story short. Ooh, no, we don't through. do long stories short. We do long stories here. Okay. This is long. Yeah. Story, you go. So. yeah. Make short stories long, et cetera. I'd, I'd had four sh- shoulder surgeries. I'd had a uh, hip surgery. I'd had a bunch of scopes on my knee. I'd, I'd fractured my ankle. I had plates and plate in my foot and, uh, uh, you know, the, then the bunch of other stuff, some TBI things, you know, where, you know, um, so I went to the board and, and, uh, they were like, the, the thing about being a SEAL is like, yeah, I could, I could probably still stay in the Navy. And I, and I was operating, but yeah, it was only because I worked out like a madman and ate a lot of, of stuff to make me not hurt all the time. Right. <laughs> and, uh, um, stayed deployed all the time. And, um, so that worked for a while, but when, when they decided to say, Hey, we're going to, we're going to medically retire you. Um, that, that changed everything because, um, it actually set me up pretty well could be medically retired. I, I, uh, and it was basically like, you can't do your job, right? You can't, you can't do your job, um, from the standpoint of, you know, special pays and, you know, the actual qualification stuff. Now I could, but but if I was going to be realistic, it was kind of like, well, if I'm going to, if I'm going to punch, this is the time to do it. And that was like 2010 or 2009. I actually went to the med board 2008. So it drug on for a year. And when they came back, it was approved. Um, and so then I had to, you know, then they, when they medically retire you from the service, you, you retire at the highest pay grade you served at. Right. So me thinking, I'm just going to have my little, you know, farewell ceremony as a master chief, which is fine. I, I've been honored, but uh, they said, oh, I got another message saying, Hey, no, you're retiring as a Lieutenant 03. So, so I was a master chief for like eight months. Yeah. Right. And, and the funny thing was at the unit at the SMU I was at um, before I even put in the package, I went to my D de- my detailer. I talked to Warcom, 
talked to everybody and I said, Hey, if I, if I get picked up, can I stay here? Right. Um, it was either that or they're going to send me to, to a place where I could be used as well. But he said, sure. So like one day I'm a enlisted guy and then we have a ceremony and the next day I'm a, an officer. And like a lieutenant. Right. So it was pretty funny, but yeah, no, but that's, that is a different, that's a significant amount of, uh, of pay. Yeah. 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 That's and, good. And then, good for you. you know, so let's back this up. Let's back this train up. All right. So that was 09, 2010. And you said you did 27 years? 23. Oh, okay. So what year did you come in? 80s? I, I joined the Navy in 87. Okay. So a little Cold War uh, era? Actually, yeah. And then actually no, didn't. I was I on delayed entry. Right you know, you get a little credit for, you know, that works. But um, yeah. 88 was, um, you had to pick a rate back then, a rating, you know, job, an MOS, yeah. you know, Navy that was compatible with a SEAL team. So I chose Corman. So that's all so, you wanted to do? Is there a reason why you, you went the Navy route or? or? Um, yeah, it's, it, this is, a, well, yeah, pretty much because I was living out in California. I was born and raised out there. Yeah. And uh, uh, parents were divorced. I was the oldest child. So I was kind of like kicked out and uh, kind of trying to figure out life at, you know, 20 years old, 22, whatever. I worked in the oil fields for a while, <clears throat> offshore, framed houses, bartended, um, things like that. And then- The world uh, needs plenty of bartenders. Remember, great yeah, line from the departed. I mean, yeah, just saying. I made bank as a bartender. <laughs> I believe it. You know, Orange County and- Oh, there you go. Lamar and San Clemente. But um, I had some friends I was playing rugby with. I started playing rugby after after school and um, I, I did some JC football stuff and-, and uh, these rugby guys, a couple of them were Vietnam era seals. And uh, whenever we'd be drinking the after party, they'd start telling stories, right? And I'm like, what are you talking about? Because, you know, in the 80s, it, no one really knew who they were, you know? Yeah. It was still kind of quiet. There weren't any books written. Yeah. No books written, no, other than like historical <laughs> stuff, by, you know, but, but no, there I was, <laughs> knee deep in in hair gel and grenade pins right? yeah the, the, always the hair gel so yeah you gotta love it um and <laughs> tattoo you know sleeves um but yeah you know it was like intriguing and um just so happens that the the one guy who ended up being my mentor um you know he said hey andy you're you ever thought about you know joining the navy because i i'd had a child from a marriage then who i wasn't let's just i just wasn't being a good dad let's yeah. just put that too young. And, okay. Right. And um, I was concerned that I was uh, going to repeat some mistakes that I grew up under. You know, my parents were divorced and, and yeah. all that. So um, it just got to me one day and I was not really sure what I wanted to do. And funny thing was, I was looking at the news one day and that's when uh, the Gulf, the Iran, Iraq, Gulf, the Straits of Hormuz stuff was going on where. Mm -hmm. Iran was mining the Straits of Hormuz and the USS Stark got struck by an Exocet and um, a couple things and it just made me mad. And so I said, ah, screw it. So I joined um, and uh, did a screening test. You know, you had to do the pull-ups, push-ups, sit-ups, the run. And um, then went to Corman A School. It's, you know, basically- See, you know, okay. 91 Bravo. Is that what, that's what you chose to become a. Because yeah, okay. uh, I was going to feed into it. Gunner's mate, bosun's yeah. mate, okay. radioman, 
Corman and 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 I asked my DT, or I asked my recruiter. I said, "Well, what do they need really bad?" And he goes, "We really need Corman bad. We're short. You know, we're always under undermanned." Mm-hmm. So I said, "Oh, okay, I'll do that." Um, and um, then I went to Buds in '88, uh, and uh, I was on the 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 long program because I got I got injured a little bit. Um, I feel but, like every everyone in special operations that I've talked to has been on the long program. So is that is that usually how it works? Does anyone just make it first time through? Yeah, yeah, they do. I mean, <laughs> you know, it, I think it depends on luck. To be honest with you, I, I, I totally believe that. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, it's, uh, I me, mean, it's not easy, but if as long as, I, I would assume it's if you're willing to stick it out, they're going to give you every opportunity to pass, right? Yeah, they want you to graduate. Right. Okay. So yeah. it's like every other military school. It's like, yeah, they, they, until they, you quit, you're going to keep going. Yeah. They're, and, and that's the thing about buds. It's, I mean, the first phase is just a straight up gut check. You're just PT yeah. and all, you know, every day and doing conditioning runs and, and, you know, just getting yelled at a lot and getting wet yeah. and sandy and everything. Um, and it's, and, it, and it's just, you know, building strength, getting strong and um, seeing what you're made of, seeing how, how you work with other guys, you know, you, you're in a little boat crew and, and how the officers lead and all that kind of stuff. And it's a big buildup to, to hell week, which is like week six, I think, uh, first phase. Um, and that starts, I mean, I'm, I'm probably going to say, you've probably heard this a hundred times, but that essentially starts Sunday, even though it doesn't really start until Sunday late afternoon or early evening. Mm-hmm. But when you wake up, if you've slept Saturday night, which you probably haven't, right? Not very well. Um, so it's just a matter of sitting around and waiting for, for, for whatever is going to happen. And uh, so I'm going to try some. The bottle's popped. Oh, he's going Jameson Black Barrel. Now. I mean, I'm going to switch around. So the Jameson um, Black Barrel is the one that's aged in a bourbon barrel, yeah? Or finished. Yeah, it's uh, triple distilled Irish jarred. Yeah. Uh, for a rich mood taste. I think it is a bourbon barrel. Yeah, they, I think they, they finished it in the bourbon barrel. It's on yeah. there somewhere, but yeah, no. All right. Okay, so there you are. Yeah, so there I am. Hair gel. Um, the hair gel is out. Hair gel's out. I don't have any hair because I've sh- they've shaved it all off, right? Um, and, uh, you know, and that, that was liberating. Um, I felt like G.I. Jane then. I, I, I hear that movie is one of the most authentic ever made. It is. And I got a G.A. Jane story you're going to love, too. Oh, I can't wait. All right. Tell me more story. story. Oh, even better. Here we go. Babe alert. So, um, yeah, so Hell Week kicks off. And and my buddy, Eddie, you know, Farmer and uh, Master Chief Hill, the two guys that were, uh, they were still in, actually, Master Chief Hill, Bill Hill, he was the command master chief at SEAL Team 3 at the time. So oh, cool. he gave me my, he gave me an unofficial screening test to see how I do. And um, for a kid who grew up literally on the beach, I wasn't a surfer, right? Yeah. I was a jock. So did you I, swim I, or no? Yeah, I swam in the ocean and stuff. Yeah, like just, like, like, okay. All my buddies played water polo and yeah, yeah. And Actual swimmers. swimmers. <laughs> smoked dope and, and everything. And um, <laughs> but they, you know, so when it came time to do the 500 yard swim, it's like it's a the side stroke, combat swimmer stroke. And it's a, a stroke where instead of your arm coming out of the water like like a normal side stroke you have an underarm recovery, whatnot. Okay. I was so bad at the stroke that it looked like I was almost swimming backwards, right? <laughs> like, it's like you do your sit-ups, push-ups, pull-ups, you get in the pool, you swim, you get out, put your boots and utes on, and you run a mile and a half. 
everybody was out of the pool and waiting when I got out. They're dressing. <laughs> and, and so I, I failed that just absolutely miserably and then um, finished the rest. And, and Bill Hill, to his credit, he said, hey, have you ever done this before? And I'm like, no, I don't even know how to breaststroke, man. And, and he worked with my stroke. He showed me, you know, yeah. kick stroke can glide. You know, it's simple. Right. It's, a, it's, a, it's an easy thing to do once you figure it out. And um, I did it again that same day and I knocked like two minutes off. So it was like more, all I needed yeah. was- you just, you just need to learn the technique. I need, so, yeah, you yeah. Learn the practice, technique so. makes everything easier in life. It really does. Yeah. So that, uh, then I went through Buzz and of course at that point we're training and, and doing whatever on the side with some other, other guys that were going in my class. It's not like today where, where they've got it down to like a production line. I mean, it's completely different today. Mm. Um, but but the, the, everything's the same. It's just, a, they, they, they've got a lot of more science behind yeah. who they screen and, and how they train them to avoid injuries. Right. So they can get more people through. But, but the funny thing is at the end of the day, the percentages don't change that much, right? You just get yeah. more, you get more applicants and more, a, bigger, a bigger pool to choose from. Right. But um, What's uh, the, then, do you know uh, the, the, the success rate? Say again. Do you know what the actual success rate of the average class is or, or what they usually yeah, are looking it's, for? It's in the high 20s, um, sometimes low 30s, you know, it depends. Um, a lot of that depends on, like, if you looked at original classmates, yeah. Like if you started out with class, like I, I started out with class 153, right? Mm. It was the last real hard buds class, but you know, that's another story. Every um, class ever says that, I bet, right? Classes, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, class 153. And um, we had, we started out with like 160 guys, mm. you know, and half of those guys were like, they had just used buds as an excuse to get off their ship. You know what I mean? They got orders. Classic military story, right? Yeah, just, I just get me out of here. I'll go do whatever you want. <laughs> I deny it, you know, and then they, then they, they get there and, and um, you know, there's attrition just in, in the pre-phase anyways. Yeah. There's a pre-phase. Um, and um, so uh, if you get rolled back now, you're, you're in a new group of originals Um and nothing is like, you don't, you're not seeing anything new you, you, where you, you pick up where you left off. Right. So it's not like, yeah. you know, you, you're, you, you can game it. Um, and it was in March. So it was, it was what, you know, how Pacific ocean is in, uh, in March. It's freaking cold, man. It's I, as far as I'm concerned, it's cold all the time. I come from the East. I come from Florida. I go from the Atlantic ocean where we can actually swim in our water comfortably. Right. Right. And, and don't, and don't need to fear sharks. Virginia yeah. Beach is the same way. It's like, you know, 75. Yeah, you know. that doesn't exist out in, in your ocean. Yeah. So San Diego, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. Um, uh, Hill Week comes around. And my, oh, my buddies, the, the guys, I said, hey, man, you know, it's going to suck. You know, there's nothing you can do about it. You know, it's, it's the, it, no matter how strong you are in everything you do, there's something you can't do well. And they're right. going to find that thing and just, you know, peel it away like a like a scab and and you're just going to be faced with figuring it out right and then that's the whole point basically yeah meeting the standards and, and whatnot um but they broke it down and said hey man when it gets rough just break it down meal to meal you know how it is so the way they do it is uh every six hours you're getting fed breakfast lunch dinner and mid rats and that's because you're burning up so much calories you're not yeah. sleeping you're just 
you know, they know they have to keep her caloric intake up. So, um, and then I played a little mental game too back then because I I told myself that, all right, if this was a mission, right, you would, you'd have a two day insert um, offset recon, right? You'd get on target on the third day um, and then you'd have two day extract or exfil back to wherever. And I said, well, no one quits on the infill, you know, mentally, you don't, you don't quit on the infill, right? Mm-hmm. Cause you're, you want to get to the target when you're on the target, you don't quit, can't quit. Right. And then on the way home, you're freaking sprinting for the door. Right. I mean, you're, you're just trying to make it cause you, you're done. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that's the kind of games I played and it worked for me. I mean, it's just like, you know, I just, uh, and, the, and the way they break out the boat crews, uh, they do a height line. So, you know, the tall guys, one through six, that's boat crew one. The next mm-hmm. six guys, boat crew two, et cetera, all the way down to the Smurfs, you know, the, the little guys and, and uh, they're the whatever boat crew number that is, right? But, um, and throughout the whole week, you're getting tested, you don't sleep. I literally probably slept two hours in from Sunday to being secured um, Friday, Friday early afternoon. So throughout that entire week, there's there's not even there's no downtime. Cause you mean you know how the soldiers are? Or you got like you can sleep anywhere if you give it give it a minute, you'll oh, do you it. You fall asleep all the time. Yeah. Right? Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, you pass out. You hallucinate. I mean, yeah. you're in, you're doing you know boat paddles up and down the coast there in Coronado, right. and you're seeing sea monsters and hallucinating and. <laughs> And, uh, you know, hey, killing, trying to kill ghosts and stuff like that, you know, because you don't know what's going on. Um, and if you, and we always, there's a saying, it's, it's pretty famous by now because everybody uses it in all their books. It pays to be a winner, right? It pays what? It pays to be a winner. Oh, well, yeah. Yeah. So if you're, you know, and everything's a contest, you know, so uh, whatever it is, it's a contest between the other boat crews. Um, so if you win, then you can like prop your boat up with ah, okay. paddles and guys can lay down for a little bit. Okay. But you always have to have one guy on watch. Right. 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 Yeah. So, um, you know, it's like, I think it's like ranger school kind of thing. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's a guy out there he's holding all the paddles and he's like falling asleep, standing up. So we rotate every five, 10 minutes, whatever we get catnaps. So you can yeah, you okay. grab sleep here and there. So what um, about instructors? Are they constantly rotating instructors out? Yeah. Yeah. So you, you know, it's like, yeah you know, high five in a WWE or something like that, you know, where, <laughs> that's you know, I figure fresh guys kind of like in. being a drill sergeant. Like, yeah, you know, especially the first few weeks you got people right. there all day. You got it. You, you can't stay all day, but someone has to be with them all day. So, right. Right. And, um, you know, also I look at them cause I was a little bit older, you know, than, than the average right. guys, a couple of years older. In fact, I was older than everybody in my boot camp to the point where my boot camp, this is, you know, going back to the beginning, my boot camp chief, came in and he goes, Mullins, you know, I think I was 26 or something like that. And he's like uh, 25 and he goes, I'm going to put you in charge. You're the, you're the master at arms. And now I was in a drill company, right? So when you know you go to boot camp, the drill company is all the fags who play instruments. So those are the guys who are going to be doing, you know, the, the, the parade part, right? And I didn't play an instrument. So all I was, was, you know, like the guy had to get him everywhere they needed to go. So he would leave me the list. I wouldn't see the guy all day long. So he was probably drinking 
I don't know what he did, but I never saw my boot yeah. camp commander or my boot camp. <laughs> it's like not seeing a drill instructor, right? Yeah, like where's this guy at? And, uh, I guess I'm in charge. Fuck. Yeah, so you know, guys were like these young kids are like, we we can't get can't get ready. There's not enough time. You know, you had to make your rack and yeah, take, you know, shave and brush your teeth and and I said, look, grab your grab your grab your blade, grab your toothbrush, piss in the shower, shave in the shower, brush your teeth. You know what I mean? And, yep. and you know, get out there. It's time and, management. It's all it is. Yeah. The, one day the, the, he came back and goes, Hey, mo- hey man, you, you can't tell him to do that. You can't tell him to piss in the shower. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Why can't you piss in the shower? Okay. You know, anyway, anyway uh, back to buds. So um, yeah, back here we go. Yeah, there we go. So it's like, um, we're, we're, we're our boat crews doing, doing well. We're winning everything, almost everything, all the races and stuff. And uh, it's all the big guys. And um, so we had a little bit of advantage. And of course, the, the Smurfs, the little guys, they're just, and these, they have no chance, right? You know, just because. You know. Wait, so hold on. Based on the, the current climate, I'm just curious. So you're trying to tell me that smaller humans aren't as strong or as effective as the larger humans? No, they would have, it was just that because we were bigger, you know, some of us had strength advantages holding oh. the boat up. Oh, is it running around everywhere but, we're going? So if you're bigger, you're probably stronger than someone smaller. Actually, we weren't, to be honest with you. All right. Yeah. Well, you you ruined my setup, but yeah, go ahead. But but yes, <laughs> stronger than if there was a different gender, maybe. Let's put it that way. But um, I didn't yeah. say that. I know you didn't. I didn't either. I said if there was. That's true. Very yeah. semantics. Well, words. Words have that. meaning. No, they do. They do. Um, but it was funny because you know those guys they put out and 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 they worked real hard, but you just never know. Sometimes it's just a matter of who who what the composition of the people are. Because I've I've seen it's more of a mental thing, right? Murph boat crews kick everyone's ass. <laughs> yeah. Well, if they're... you're weak mentally, you're not gonna it doesn't matter how strong you are, you can't yeah. utilize it because you're too busy being weak men- mentally, right? All right, so there you go. And these guys weren't really weak mentally. They just, they just sometimes they had a disadvantage. Um, so what we ended up getting was um, when they started to deteriorate, they, they would, there was like, when there was only like three of them left or four of them, they couldn't even hold the boat up, right? Cause it's, it's, it's one of those inflatable. Yeah. Not, it's not a Zodiac, but you know what I mean? They're, yeah. they're heavy, man. So yeah. they, they farmed them out. So they, they gave us an extra, they gave us one. They gave all the first four boat crews a, a Smurf, right? And of course, <laughs> those little guys, they can't even, they can't even reach the freaking underneath. Did you name them Smurfs or is this what they're referred just, to as? That's just the traditional name. Okay. So yeah. All right. That makes sense. They're short. Yeah. So you're Smurf. Got it. Yeah. And um, you're a giant. We, How tall are you? Uh, I'm well, at one point I was almost six, three. I think I'm, okay. you know, I've maybe lost half an inch or something. Yeah. Like that. Okay. So you're a big guy. Six yeah. two. You're a little, you're a little too tall. Yeah. Well, I mean, some things maybe, but um, yeah. Chicks like it. Um, <laughs> Hey-o. Oh. <laughs> um, Married with kids. There you go. Boys. Like <laughs> <laughs> She's not here. Um, so um, anyway, we get this extra guy and he, you know, he's, he can't do anything, you know, he's, but he's got to have it. You know, the instructors are screaming, why don't you have your head on the boat? Blah, blah, blah. You know? So we threw him in top of the boat. So we had to carry him around <laughs> right, everywhere we went. So everything we're doing is this extra, you know, and then we he'd rotate and paddle, but you know, you know, it, it was just, you know, you don't even remember half of it, but about Wednesday night, I don't know if you're familiar, are you familiar with Coronado? Much? No. 
Okay. Not at all. On the, uh, you have the strand where on the beach side is where the, uh, the Buds complex is. And across the street is the Naval Amphibious Base. So at the, uh, we would have to run across the, um, I can't even remember the name. I should, should be tattooed on me somewhere across the boulevard. It might be. There. Have you checked? Have I checked? I said it might be. It might be tattooed on you somewhere. You just yeah. can't see it. I, <laughs> uh, um, I, anyway, so we had to run across the street, go to the NAB chow hall, and it was at night. And I, I remember stepping in a hole, like a mm -hmm. pothole, and with my left leg, and I you know, jammed it, and I felt something in my hip. But at that point, I was just a freaking vegetable anyway. So I'm like, ah, oh, that hurt. You know, but they start to ease off a little bit on on some of the stuff because you just can't do it. So instead, they just keep you wet, cold. You know, you're dumping boat at the rocks. You're you're doing whatever, but it's not. You know, they're they're checking you for all hypothermia and all that stuff, and you're starting to chafe real bad and 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 whatnot. But um, I remember get I remember that, and then we made it to the mud pits. That's where you get you know the the winning boat crew gets secured and everybody else gets hammered for another two or three hours. And then, then they secure everybody at hell week for on Friday. Um, <clears throat> and then the next you're off kind of the next week is hydrographic reconnaissance, you know, the old school uh, line and lead where you, you, you swim online. This is like hydrographic reconnaissance, like for Tarawa and, and Utah beach and stuff like that, where, UDT guys or NCDU guys would swim in and and take soundings like every you know 10 yards and they would write it they had a little waterproof board that they would write the depth that they got because there would be a, a weight on the end and every foot had a little knot in it in the, mm. so then you'd go back you'd take all those soundings and you would draw like a cartography of the, the undersea what the, the uh, landing zone would look like and that's how they'd pick, you know, where they would do the landings. Like if it was too far out, if there was an obstruction or coral, or whatever. So that they taught us that old school stuff for the next week. So you're not doing anything. It's a recovery week. Yeah. And the following week you start second phase, um, which at the time was uh, land warfare. Now it's, and then dive phase was last. They've switched that since then. And I remember our first four, four mile timed run it's two miles down the beach and then two miles back in boots. And I, I, I started to run and I made it about 300 yards. And then I, all of a sudden I couldn't, I couldn't walk and my hip was killing me. So I went and got it checked out and it turned out I had fractured the, the femoral neck of my hip. Oh shit. And uh, <laughs> you know, that was significant because yeah. I went to the regular doctors are like, yeah, this, that's a bad area to get a fracture because it's low blood supply. Right. Uh, the prognosis usually isn't pretty good. You're going to have guaranteed arthritis or hip replacement at some point. And then uh, I'm like, okay, well, uh, how long does it take to heal? And I'm like, well, you know, you might not even be able to stay in the Navy. We might have to kick you out of the Navy. What? Yeah. yeah. And so anyways, my, my, the medical department swooped me up and sent me up to Camp Pendleton uh, where the Marines are. Mm. And so I worked with uh, the um, force recon guys for, you know, just, in training cell, like supporting them for a couple of months, just to kind of, you know, be to, to heal up and came back and classed up with, with oh, okay. class and, um, and then finished with them. So that's my thing. But 
So my whole career, my left hip always hurt. Right? Yeah. I never got it. I checked. imagine that. <laughs> and, um, turns out at the time when I was getting ready to get out, they, they MRI'd it and they go, yeah, man, you got a torn, torn labrum in your hip and it looks really old and there's like no space there. So they went in and dremeled it a little bit and put a couple, you know, sutures in it, repaired the, the labrum and um, it, it worked for a while, but uh, now it's, I'm at the point now where my next surgeries are a repl replacement for my right arm, my right shoulder, and probably a hip replacement if I, if I do it right. Yeah. I, well, I mean, I would, I mean, my, my dad, he's 73 as of May 14th. He just did one last year and my brother's going in for his second hip replacement. The other hip. Yeah. He did his first one about three or four years ago. And now this yeah. second one he's doing, I think in, it's either the end of this month or next month, but yeah, I mean, his is he, all, um, his is all because of just, I mean, he was an MMA guy. He's been fighting his whole yeah. life. And then he was also a swimmer. So, I mean, he's just had so much wear and tear on the joints just from his, his life. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't help that he's, you know, he's a few years older than me, but he's, he's still up until recently is still squats entirely too much weight. And, you know, but Right. That's the, that's the trade-off, right? You want to be big and strong. You gotta, you gotta put your help, your body through some shit. So that's what he's doing. But no, like the way he's doing this one compared to the surgery he did a few years ago. Now it's just like, it's this robot they use. It's super precise and recovery super much quicker. And also, I mean, I, I would tell you to do it. I don't know if you're debating it or not. I don't know if it's something you're worried no, about. It's, it's, I'm not debating at all. It's actually kind of how I'm going to schedule it. Um, <laughs> ah, I gotcha. You know, I just, I, I, We'll get uh, we'll, maybe later in the conversation. We'll get to post what I what I ended up having to do for my post kind of therapy recovery whatever. Mm. Um, well, and um, and this I just finished a master's degree. So yeah, I was reading that. Okay, so yeah. you're uh, so you 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 went out, you got out, and then you went to school. Is that how? Yeah, right? so, I mean, it. it uh, <laughs> We're going to jump past a lot if you want. Um, yeah, don't jump to this real quick. Cause then I'm, and then I'm going to go way back. Cause there's a few places I want to, I want to explore. Okay. But yeah. All right. So here okay. we are. You're getting the masters. Um, and when I got out, I was like, you know, I had, I had all my, my temporary, I had, I had all my surgeries. I was still working out. I was still big, strong, and I could still operate. Um, and so um, I, I, went back over to Afghanistan and worked for a year to, I did 2010 in Afghanistan working for McChrystal um, on the, uh, his counterinsurgency team, uh, assessment team, the, mm -hmm. the cat team. And essentially what we were is, you know, we knew the guy and we, you know, everybody worshiped McChrystal. I'm not so fond of him these days, but um, yeah, I still, I still think he, I, I respect him a lot, but uh, what he was, what he was struggling with was like, Hey, I don't feel like my message is, is getting down to the captain or the, the lieutenant at the FOB. I don't think, and I don't know what they're doing and how, when I hear success stories, I don't, I mean, how filtered is that? What am I getting? So, you know, he sent all these guys who know what right looks like. And so what we did is, you know, we'd go out and, and uh, let, 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 just patrol with the guys, you know? And so it's fun. I mean, it's so fun that, it's like I got for a while there I was getting more trigger time after I retired. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. <laughs> yeah. So, um, 
but you know, wow, and, that's crazy. So you guys were authorized to carry and do all that crap. Oh yeah. 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 Oh, we shit. were, you know, we, um, the whole deal, um, contractors, you know, I mean, we yeah. had contractor limits, but, but basically, you know, it's kind of waived to a degree. Um, we, we just couldn't be in command of anything, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, but, uh, there's a lot of what we started to see. There's a lot of really good things that, that young, young officers or, or, or smart savvy NCOs were doing that was making a difference with, uh, cert money and, uh, you know, the, the, the monies that they could, you know, do like little projects for when they, when they would do stuff. And so we would write that up and send it back. And we hit, we were like VFR direct to, uh, uh, general McChrystal and his team. He had, he had had his own little think tank, basically a bunch of handpicked senior, uh, or mid-grade seal officer, SF officer guys from, from the McChrystal. He was, was he a seal before? No, no. Okay. Um, Crystal? Yeah. No, no, he was a ranger. Oh, that's right. He was an army guy. Okay. Yeah. Never mind. Got it. Yeah. All right. Go. Um, and, and so, like, also, uh, like my job, because of where I w- ended up working the last 10 years of my life, was real uh, human centric stuff, you know. And human, for those who don't know, is human intelligence there collection or human, tele- human intelligence uh, an- analysis or or sometimes it's actually human and human intelligence operations. Right. Right. Unlike hiring a proxy to do it, you know, we got to go do stuff. So yeah. sometimes, um, and then there was like four different, uh, fusion cells centers in Kandahar and they weren't talking. There'd be information that wasn't getting passed <laughs> to other units. And you, so I, I looked at that. That was kind of like my original job there to, to like look at, how information flowed and, you know, how the task force was stovepiping and everything, you know, and you know what I mean? It was a lot of, there was a lot of turmoil. Did you but in 2010, was- 2011, that was a real key period because there was a, all the ducks, all the things were, the efforts internationally were, were aligned in Afghanistan, I thought, at the end of 29, 2009, and, and for a couple of years to actually, to actually do what we wanted to do was basically clear space and hold it and stabilize it. You know, he had this, what he called the ink spot theory, you know, you know, you do, you, you clear and hold, bring governance, reconstruction, development, justice, rule of law, whatever, to a, to a place that's stable and you kept the Taliban out and you train up uh, local uh, people to, to take over and whatnot. And then slowly the idea was that these would all start to merge, we'd squeeze out um, we'd squeeze out, uh, the Taliban because they wouldn't have the leverage over the population and whatnot. Uh, but, you know, things changed when, when his plan for Hellman required, you know, we learned our lesson from Shinseki when he said, no, you're going to need about 400,000 people to stabilize Iraq. Remember? You know? Yeah. Oh, I, I was there. I got, <laughs> <laughs> I remember that guy um, got vilified for being honest. Yeah. For being like a, you know, rational thinker um and then you know fourth id doesn't even get in through the north so you know it's like a shit sandwich but we you know that's history anyway so when he went with his three options to the commander-in-chief uh we're talking about mccrystal one the mccrystal one which was the most robust package okay Mm -hmm. because it was basically going to be just just you know it was going to be a no more playing around 
we're going to take the Kajaki Dam. We're going to bring power back to these areas. We're going to destroy the poppy crops. We're going to take back Helmen province. You know, we're going to control the entry points into the country, uh, get, around, get rid of, you know, uh, Wally Karzai, you know, he's a big, you know, all those guys. And, and for, for whatever reason, the, the war that, that uh, the president said was the right war and we need to win, um, it, he didn't pick that choice. And then you know, the Rolling Stone article came out where guys were just venting in a bar yeah. <clears throat> and uh, he got called back and relieved. So um, at that point, Petraeus came in and um, took over, but it was just a different, different feeling because Petraeus wasn't, you know, you had the task force there and all the national assets. Um, guys were going out every night and just, you know, slaying bad guys. I mean, they were, they were doing really good work. And so that nighttime, you know, that kinetic national force, then you had the Marines doing good work and SFA teams building BSOs, BSPs. And um, the agency was, you know, building a good paramilitary network. Everything was kind of lining up, kind of, focusing towards um, some sort of, uh, I wouldn't say success necessarily or an end, mm -hmm. but it would have been a different atmosphere. The, the landscape would have looked different in a year, year and a half, where now there's there's big pockets of the country that are controlled. Right. By, by okay. Ice. All that right. So I, because I, you've got a ton of, knowledge that i think needs to kind of come out if we can but i do have i have well i got three questions i had two up until you just said that now i got two so one the first thing you said was you were there to kind of i guess unblur the the disconnect between McChrystal and his 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 captains right his captain his o3 grade officers is his his company commanders i guess as we would call it the, the guys that are still at the tactical level because he's way up at strategic right yeah he's calm isaf so he's okay in, yeah so what were you were you able to so this might be two-part question in one so were you yeah. able to figure out what the disconnect was and was the disconnect maybe tied to the fact that you know all these regions of the of the the country like the rc east the rc capital rc well was that tied to it is that the fact that like everyone saw like this is my little section and i'm gonna run this my section and you know i'll whatever the boss asks, I'll tell him, but I'm still going to just worry about my little piece of Afghanistan. I would say, yes, that's, that's true. And that's, that's, that's typical. Even if you like research, uh, division of labor in world war two. Yeah. You know, where, right. Um, and post-world war two, you know, when they, mm. and same thing in Bosnia, Yugoslavia, when they carved it up and you had the British sector, French sector, Italian sector, American mm. sector, yada, yada. But, but really it wasn't as simple as, him saying that it was more like is the strategy at all levels clear like yeah when 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 it's put out what happens to it down through the chain right and then when it gets what does it look like it's the telephone game when it gets down to the cop level and you're doing route clearance or you're doing whatever um and and you see you see something fresh eyes you know young guy fresh eyes whatever Hey, we could do this better or different. Um, right. They come up with an idea or whatever, and it just never got past the, you know, the iron major or the lieutenant colonel or whatever, because it wasn't their idea or whatever. And that's not, that's that's a little unfair, but but it, it, was it may be unfair, player. but it may also be right. 
Yeah, it, it, there's just a lot of layers of bureaucracy. And also you got to yeah. remember too, it wasn't just a unilateral thing. I mean, we had a, a lot of European- uh, Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so each like, you know, like the Norwegians and the Dutch and they, they had their own part of the country, right? Right. And Germans were up north, uh, et cetera. And then, uh, you know, we that out, out in the out in the west was you know the British had Leatherneck, right? Yeah, British British were there first, and then uh, Marines came out to help them. Yeah, um, and then you go up to Herat, where I ended up later on, which is right on the border with uh, Iran, mm-hmm. and it's just like this completely different world. Like like no, yeah, yeah, that that country world. is just, it. Yeah, first because it, it's not. I wouldn't say it's huge, but literally every sector is completely different from a topography standpoint, from a people standpoint, language, as you probably know. I mean, like yeah. everything about that country gets very different very quickly. Yeah. It's uh, you know, and you got Pashtu and Dari. Yeah. It, well, then, then you bring in the religion. Right. Exactly. And then it's, and then you got, you know, the Taliban, you know, are, are, are the remnants of what, you know, are fighting against the Soviet union. Yep. Um, and, um, you know, just it was a multi, it was a challenging problem. Um, and then, you know, all it takes is a couple of mess ups, you know, where someone does kill people accidentally or whatever. Yeah. And that, yeah, that was you know, a bad time. they just, um, <laughs> it's a complex problem. And um, we made progress. We did some good things. That, that effort was a good, was a good thing. Um, because like, for example, I, when I went, when I was sent to Herat as a, as a RC East cat, leader so i answered to the uh commander of rc east which was that's the italian and the spanish mm-hmm. okay so they had camp victory well they didn't they didn't have camp victory victory the marines had that but they had i forgot the names of their camps they're they're co-located and um so you know every day i'd go in and, and i'd talk to the general you know the italian general and i'd say hey this you know general blah 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 is you know he knew her. everybody called us the crystal spies so so essentially we got kind of you know, no one got in our way. Let's put it that way, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah I want to talk to the general. Okay, uh, schedule's open or whatever. You know, it's like, so that worked in your our favor. But at the same time, I had to win those people over, right? I had to right. say, look, you know, what, what are your, what are you not getting? What do you need? What, 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 what do you think? You know, you know, I call it Operation Rockstar. It's kind of like a case officer thing. You know, it's like mm-hmm. not about me. It's about you, buddy. I would make <laughs> you win. You know, what was your takeaway from like working with the uh, the the Italian guys and all, did you? Well, you know, it's, um, honestly, I was there when their first three guys, like they were doing this like overland uh, supply convoy mm-hmm. to Balmer Gob or something like this, this little place up in the North, Northwest. And um, they got ambushed and they lost three soldiers. They hit an ID. And you would have thought that it was 9-11 in Italy, right? Like everybody was just like, they had, like mourning and losing their mind and oh my god they're national heroes and 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 they you know they're, they're i'm not saying they weren't but they just weren't used to getting punched in the nose yeah I was gonna say, it made it real for them it, it, yeah, you, guys weren't, you guys just aren't here to just hang out in the nice calm spots all of a sudden you know now yes. it's uh now it's real right now it's real and uh it, it was it was one of those uh, political moments back in italy where you know now the italians are like why are we there you know yeah. Should we pull out? Should we stay? And yada, yada. So a lot of politics, a lot of that kind of stuff. Yep. Um, and 
you know, so there, there was that. And, um, and the Spanish, um, they, you know, they did their thing, whatever it was. I, I don't, I'm, there, there's always an element of every country that, that you know, whether they're Polish, mm. German, Norwegian, Dutch, Aussie, even Italian, they want to go out and, and they're just as good a war fighter as anybody else, right? Right. But that's the person, not necessarily the, the mindset. Exactly. You know, it's like, hey, we want to survive our three-month deployment here. You know what I mean? It's like, so if I don't, if people don't have to go anywhere or whatever, then, you know what I mean? So you're kind of struggling with that. How do you motivate people? But, yeah. but what we, you know, we, we, we found things that we could do because of the uniqueness of that area and the relationship with, there's a lot of Iranian influence in that area. It was a very stable area. Um, it's just when you left and you went and you found these pockets of hardcore Taliban and, um, the Marine Sodif guys were there. They were they had just stood up the Sodif, the SOCOM Sodif guys, and um, had a lot of fun with them going out. And we we had this what they call it? clear hold no, uh, yeah clear hold and engage. So we would have we, we would with a bunch of Afghan commandos go clear a village, hold it, and then the the, the village would be empty by the time we got there, right? <clears throat> Because all those people had left because the Taliban were there. And then by the time um, we'd get in and chase them away, they would come walking out of the hills. Like, you know, the, the elders would come and then we'd sit down. In fact, that one picture that you have. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. yeah. yeah that's, that's like right after they came back down out of the hills. So we just did a little snap sure right there <clears throat> talking to them. That's cool. And, um, you know, working on the next phase. Like, what are we going to do? How, how are we going to make this? Yeah. What can we do different? Stuff like that. So I learned a lot. I learned a lot. It was it was a good time. I just. Uh, but even it, then, man, like that's. I mean, because you've probably heard of this either whether it's on the zooms or whether it's just us and some of the guys who've worked to kind of to end this stuff. But I mean, even the the year you're describing that is. Did you ever did you ever wonder like, does this stuff end? Like, how are we here for? Yeah, you know what was funny? The things that stood out to me were mostly was, okay, so it's 2010, uh, 2002, we went in and kind of toppled them, right? Yeah. But still kind of fresh. It's like eight years, right? Mm -hmm. But it's it's ramping up in a positive way. Like we're, we've, we've got support. We've got international organizations that are ready to fill the void and start training their counterparts with rule of law and governance and all those things. And so people were all on board as a coalition, but security, you know, those, you know, it's easy to, you blow up a couple of innocent NGOs and, and now people start rethinking it and, you know, people get weak need. But um, what I, what I noticed that that was money would be spent, let's say, say a police station, say, say these guys got like this mud hut police station. Mm -hmm. So someone say, Hey, we'll build them a brand new police station. You know, we'll, we'll spend, spend a bunch of money there. And they'd come in and they'd build this great compound and all this kind of stuff. And then the guys would go to it and they'd be like, they'd sleep on the roof. Right. You know, they, they wouldn't even lose the building because um, it, it wasn't practical for their lifestyle, 
right? You know, 100 degrees in the daytime, everybody sleeps on the roof, you know, because at night, yeah. one time it cools down. Not only that, but when they built stuff, it was four foot thick mud walls, right? You could shoot a 105 at it. It's not going to go through it. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, so it's like they were safer in their mud hut compounds. And they just, you know, these, ep- these relics, these, these like statues of, of uh, so we, we started to, one of the things we tried to um, emphasize was, hey, you need to engage, even if it's an Afghan, you need to go find the Afghan person and build a connection. If whoever the architect, whoever the people that are designing it, that's where they, we need to get more input. We need to get more understanding of local culture and, and like, what would you do? What's the best thing? What do you need? And, and, and oftentimes that was kind of the message, you know, it was like, mm. we're not spending enough time establishing relationships with people so that they can make the choice. And, and we always made this joke or this, at the end of the day, it's, it's a, it's a bake-off, right? You know, you, the Taliban bake their cookies and then we bake ours and then the people choose the cookies they like the best. Right. And, you know, from, from most people outside of uh, Kabul or Bagram or, or Kandahar or Herat, you know, their world was in between the, in that valley they lived in. You know, they didn't, they didn't look at the, the, at the country as an, in any kind of national way. Right. Based, you know, <laughs> you know, like literally, our, we live from that, that ridgeline to, you know, this, to that ridgeline. Yeah. You know, and, um, you know, that's the, you know, that's happened. That's not the first time those kinds of th- lessons have been learned. No, but. but I mean, but that's kind of always been my, 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 I guess just as I gotten older, cause like when I was younger, like, you know, I was a little younger than you when I joined and, you know, I was 22 in Iraq during the invasion. I turned 23 over there, but you know, when you're, when you're that age, you don't think about any of this shit, but as you get older, you start to realize like, all right we're trying to bring a concept to people that they have no, <laughs> I hate to say the word concept. They don't have a concept of the concept we're bringing them. Right. And so right. like you described, like, so yes, they don't look past that Ridge compared to this Ridge. Cause this is what they know. This is their home. This is where they live. This is all they're concerned about. Um, the idea of a nation, none of that stuff really registers with them because they've never thought of that. And, I always like to bring it up to people. I've, I've had, you know, younger family members who were way too young to understand 9-11 or any of that stuff who've asked these questions. And it always comes back to, for me, at least trying to get them to understand it is like, look, and I, and, and I applaud the effort by, and I, and I respect the sacrifice made by us is just, we're in areas of the world that if they, if we think about our concept of democracy and what we went through to get it and where we are, how relatively young it is and what we struggle with today, I always come back to if they wanted it, they would have thought of it already. But just because of how old their civilizations are and just how old they just how long they've been doing any type of government. You feel right. like the natural order and the natural progression would have kind of led them to entertain the idea. Yeah, and, and it's it's uh it's like you know they say here all politics is local, you know, and the most efficient form of government is usually local, yeah. county, and and sometimes state. 
Yeah. And then after that, it all goes to shit, right? Because you can't get, you might, you know, but, but generally that's, that's the model. So it ties back into general McChrystal and wondering why there's a disconnect. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> the team though, it wasn't just all pipe hitters who were on it. Like we had right, uh, exactly. Yeah. I know cat who uh, Troy Anderson, who's a, a district attorney. Like he might even be the district attorney right now in, in Boston or, or one of the, one of the boroughs. So super sharp prosecutor. Uh, and, and, uh, we brought him out. And so he would go out and engage all the judges, right? He would talk to them. He would be like, hey, I want to learn about how you guys solve cases. Like if someone comes with a dispute, teach me, you know? So he was, he learned like how the process worked, right? Uh, say it's a land dispute. And, uh, you know, there was a, they, they had a real fair kind of process. And, and what he realized is, hey, there's a gap of people that, uh, can be prosecutors or defenders. And so he realized he had to like work with them to build a deeper bench of Afghan educated guys who could, who, who right. knew Sharia law and, and knew how to solve problems. Because the idea is you want, if, if you're going to have a, 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 any kind of a su successful government, you have to be able to provide justice to people and security. All right. I mean, those are the two things, human security and justice. Um, and the Taliban, you know, historically, I mean, they, they, they did it. I mean, and they did it, you know, by the book. You know, it wasn't like, I don't like you. I'm going to kill you. Give him his goat or whatever it was. It was like, no, Sharia law says X, Y, Z. Um, you can't prove this and that. So people are like, well, they, if I have a problem, I get quicker, I get quicker response from, from, um, from them. And so, you know, there was a lot of effort to try to like, to, to work on the actual issues that would make a difference with the local population, right? Um, some of the shortfalls were, one of the, well, actually, first I'll start with a, a good thing. The, Na the Afghan National Army um, was being built by, in a traditional, tr traditional way. Um, so when, that was the one area that I noticed, it didn't matter where, the guys were from, the local population was proud of the, and the Afghan National Army. So they'd yeah. come rolling in looking like an army and it didn't matter if they were Uzbek or, or whatever, you know, they were mm -hmm. like, wow, we're proud of them. The, the, the weakness in the whole thing was the police, the policing action, the Afghan National Police, to where you could literally be one day you're the thug on the block, the next day you, you got a badge. Yeah. <laughs> the the most important. I mean, that's like us in the West, if you think about it. Like, yeah. Go back. <laughs> I, I mean, yeah. It's tombstone. Like, all that is is wide herp and all, man. You just get deputized now. Right. Kidding. Except you know that guy's a thug, and he's just gonna roll you for money, right? You know. And uh, the thing is, like, the what is the what is the face of justice in any country? It's the police. Right. So if if you can't if if you don't if you're looking at that guy and you're like you know, he's corrupt, you know, so you don't have respect for him. So, yep. so it's like, that was that thing. And, you know, you, you know, we constantly struggled with and how do you, you know, how do you change that? And, uh, you know, there's a, I mean, we could talk for hours about, uh, Oh yeah. Lessons learned and whatnot, but, uh, the, if, if anything, there's a lot of key takeaways. So, um, what it's, what it's done is helped. We've, we've captured a lot of stuff that went to call, 
uh, Center for Army Lessons Learned. Lessons Learned, yeah. Yeah, and uh, uh, you know, it's been incorporated into other things. Um, and so it's also affected how we deal with some other countries like Somalia. how have you seen so i got a uh, just last question on that but then because yeah. then i want to i want to i want to go backwards on the oh yeah bio okay. thing talk but no my- so yeah we talk about the center for army lessons learned because you know it's 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 been there forever and uh right. yeah there's a lot of stuff feeding into it um but how about from where you left and came from how do you feel the seals have kind of taken what they've gone through f- throughout this throughout the guat the global war on terror and uh, do you right. feel like uh, there's been a lot learned and and, and implemented and changed or, or where you, where do you see that from your last vantage point um so what i it's funny so when i came in you know i mean it's it's like yeah because you went through a different very different era and then you, yeah. you progressed to this so cold war you know it's like Man. Did you have any involvement with the with the first Gulf War? Did the SEALs have any? Well, yeah, they did, but didn't. Um, yeah. Uh, but even before that, um, so yeah, you were basically came in during the Cold War, mm-hmm. all hyped up, and and you think you're going to be, and, and and you got to also put it. All of our cadre was either ex-Vietnam guys, yeah, Mac V. Sog, right? It's a crazy world, different. Crazy too. world, slitting yeah. throats and putting baseball cards on people's foreheads <laughs> and shit. Uh, doing good shit and good, good stuff, but really making a difference because, you know, it scared the bejesus out of the BC, you know? I mean, it was, you know, it was, I mean, it's relative when I say good stuff, you know, you you got some some gender studies, social sciences professor is going to disagree with me on that, I guess. Um, But anyways, so those are kind of, that was kind of who was steering us and, and, you know, the old, you know, you need, you need to carry a load out and a half. I don't know if that was a doctrine when you came up, but a load out and a half of magazines. So no, uh, we just refer out. to it as a basic load. Yeah. Seven basic magazines, load. right? Seven magazines. Yeah, well, for us, it was 15 magazines. Okay. Well, that's a lot. All right. Yeah. Way more than my poke self was carrying. Yeah. All right. Yeah, it was before body armor, right? Was, <laughs> I was came in before we did the invasion without body armor. At least I right. didn't get it. I heard third ID guys had it, but they were probably the people that were important. I was just there. Um, but yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. So you had that whole thing and then you had to be able to have, you know, how do you break an ambush? You assault through it, right? You have to. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, you gotta, Tactics have definitely changed in the last 20 years. Yeah. Sustained, sustained rate of fire for two and a half minutes without, without any break. Sixties mm-hmm. talking, you know, peels and you know what I mean? It's just that old school stuff that still applies actually speed, violence of action. And yeah. And, uh, luck firepower um yeah but it works uh, anyway so that happened and then in 80 uh, then we did the that we had some guys that were involved in panama panama invasion. okay yeah, yeah. Um, uh, from my team they they they're the guys that went and blew up the porous uh noriega's boat <laughs> and my roommate at the time he was at seal team four um he was a 60 gunner uh rick asherman he ended up um he said, yeah, you know, in December, he's like, yeah, we're doing a bunch of training. I might not, I might not be home for Christmas, blah, blah, blah. He didn't tell me what he was doing, but we, you know, we, we could see what was, what was happening. Yeah. Um, he did the Patia airfield raid mm-hmm. where that was kind of, you know, the big, the big kind of things didn't go well there. And that's where uh, they, the leadership changed each uh, hour by like 15 minutes. Guys weren't in position. Uh, initially they were going to, you know, 
patrol around in the darkness of the airfield to get to Noriega's plane, and then you stand off to get uh, to, to dis disable the plane. And at the last minute, I don't know who it was, it was some general, he pushed it forward. Um, and it was like, go, go, go. And people were sprinting across a lit airfield and, you know, they ran into a hornet's nest and a bunch of guys got, got shot. And um, Rick was one of them. He got shot. He got shot in the ass, actually. Um, it's pretty funny. Um, he actually got shot. The real thing. People actually do get shot in the ass. It's a real thing. Well, it's not just it's a Forrest Gump movie. It's even better because he was like a, um, a radio man or electrician's mate or some, you know, some rate that didn't even matter, right? Mm. Um, and uh, he was running across the airfield. His platoon was just like decimated. Um, and a round came, uh, came by and it, while, he was, while he was in mid stride, it went under his leg, just missed uh, the jimmies yeah. and entered, you know, right behind his balls and came out like the right side of his ass, right? You know? <laughs> so, um, and he's shooting, he's, he's, doing, he's doing good and everything. Was he a Smurf though? No, he wasn't a swear. Okay. <laughs> but uh, uh, so when he came back, you know, we lived together and I, you know, I used to pack his wounds, pack his dressing every day and stuff like that. But um, yeah, he told me what happened. And that was just one of those things where, you know, we still had that at, we had an, a long enough time where this is where commanders sometimes don't follow their own dictate. Mm. And that is, hey, you, you plan your dive, dive your plan plan your plan you know you you only deviate to the secondary or the tertiary right, right, you, right you don't right. i mean because there's so many moving pieces if you change yeah. h hour i mean now you're now you're figuring it out on the fly right yep. and so but there's that and then um after that um our ally in the gulf uh, took kuwait saddam hussein and so we spun up for that my first platoon Ended up getting on uh, a, 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 a mew with some Marines, steamed all the way across to the Mediterranean, got there. And of course, you know, third ID or fourth ID or whoever it was, and, you know, like, and, and everybody in the South, the war was over by the time we got there. You're welcome. Yeah, I, I, I'm very grateful. <laughs> I passed out MREs to like Kurds and shit. <laughs> and uh, went back home. Um, and after that, it uh, the the '90s turned into the Yugoslavia period. So I did a bunch of time in and out of uh, Bosnia, uh, Yugoslavia. You know, either either supporting supporting the national force with um, war, you know, war, war criminals you know, hunting them down, or or actually did I did one deployment. You might be familiar with this. If you well, actually you came in after 9/11, right? Yeah. Okay, so there was this program called the JCO, Joint Commission Observer. And essentially what it was, it was an SFA team that would get sent in along with British SBS uh, and, and other guys. And so they divided up Bosnia after, you know, at the ceasefire before the Dayton Accords were done. And um, they'd send these teams and they'd live in each of these districts um, and some, you know, some of the seals got like uh, folded into it. And our job was to go out and like meet the mayors, meet the, meet the population, talk to people, kind of like get the ground truth, but we didn't wear body armor. We didn't wear 
Kevlar's. We just drove around kind of like, Hey, you know, we're the soft, soft power guys. I mean, we had, yeah, we, we had stuff, but we just didn't, you know, wear it. It was in the, you know, you wore your pistol. Um, and our job was really just to kind of like drink Rakia with the mayors and, and get to know them <laughs> and everything. And them over, right. I, I, oh, I wish, I wish another life would have been great. Yeah. It was kind of like debt a, a soft version of debt a kind of thing. You know, if you had to compare it to something, you know, if you, if you know your SF history from the cold war, um, the guys in Berlin and, uh, but it was, it was really kind of cool because we had free reign. We could go wherever we wanted. We, we blew past every checkpoint. Yeah. Italians trying to wave you down. We're like, yeah, fuck you. We got SF car, S4 cards. <clears throat> so then that was my question. I wanted to come back to So was this around the time? So what is the, the caucuses? Talk to me about that. What do, what do we got going on there? Yeah. So, uh, Franz Ferdinand Tito, or how are you saying then Tito was the, um, guy who controlled um, the Balkans, basically. Um, okay. And he was a communist, but he wasn't, he wasn't a Stalinist. So, so he wasn't a bad commie. He wasn't, a, well, he wasn't, <laughs> he, he, he wasn't. Uh, uh, More of a new breed, wasn't the old yeah, school guy. He was like. Um, commie light. Yeah, dictator. And so yeah. he, <laughs> he figured out, let me just skip the whole for the people thing. I'm just gonna control the people. Yeah, well, what he did was because um, you had this, that, that's the melding pot right there of where it, Islam, um, Croats, yeah. Serbs, um, they all kind of converge in that, in that area, right? And yeah. they've all got just centuries of, of animosity and, and whatnot. And um, Tito controlled that throughout world war ii as well and was the resistance you know he kept the germans out of what what was his religious what was his religious background he was actually a um let me think here uh i want to say he was a like a croat or orthodox or something like that you know, okay. he wasn't he wasn't a muslim right okay um and the croatia they're not they're not muslim i mean there, there are some but yeah um Anyway, so he was famous because his resistance force is, is what kept Germany from taking um, that part of the southern part of Europe into Greece and then, you know, being able to come around and, and mm -hmm. uh, through Bulgaria and Romania. Um, and, and it was pretty much like, you know, leave me alone. I, I got this. And then um, when it came time for him, he got older and um, but he was a strong man. And what he did was he played each of the countries against each other. He knew if he kept everybody off balance, yeah. nobody could coalesce, right? So when it was- Very Saddam Hussein-ish. Yeah, maybe so. Um, but but it was more more ethnic and yeah. religious, like the yeah. Serbs, you know, he, he um, you know, he, he pit each other against each other, right? Uh, right. People against each other, so to speak, just to, just to keep them annoyed. Um, and keep control of the different countries, you know, Albania, Mont Montenegro, um, Serbia, uh, you know, Cro Croatia, Yugoslavia, um, Mont uh, say, what's the other one uh, up north? Anyway, um, but when he died, when he, got, when he passed away, Slobodan Milosevic. Yeah, this um, fucking guy. You know, he, he rose up and he wanted to be the next Tito, right? So, um, Basically, he he rallied a bunch of uh, events 
that stirred up a bunch of discontent, um, which was pretty much anti-Islam, anti-Muslim, yeah. um, which in some ways appealed to people because they felt like they were being, the, the non-Muslims were being um, oppressed. So he was the adjutant basically. And yeah. that's what led to the, um, the, the conflict there, right? Between the two, because what happened is Moldova, I wanna say Moldova, no, the Montenegro, Okay, the, the war, the, the wall falls, yeah. 91. Right. And, and then suddenly countries start declaring their own independence. Yeah. Right? Croatia, <clears throat> uh, Montenegro, um, and then, then the, the Republic of Yugoslavia said, we want to be independent too. And the problem was the Yugoslavia, the Yugoslav army, was composed of people from all the different uh, federated states. Oh shit! So, okay. so you had like battalions of Serbians in Croatia, right? Who were not who loyal, were not. like uh, you, <laughs> loyal to our country, Christ. and 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 so they had these like little like God. mini coups where they fought back against you yeah, know. Yeah, that I was gonna say that had to be such a difficult time to just have any really command and control, right? I mean. This is pre-internet. Like there's, you know, <laughs> there's no real way to control people. There's yeah. no cell phones. Like that had to be such a, a strategic nightmare. Yeah. And it was, it, um, you know, what ends up happening is um, uh, the, the, the Serbs um, overstepped their bounds. I mean, human rights wise, you know, we yeah. all know the story of Srebrenica and, 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 uh, and other massacres by, by Serbs against uh is Muslims uh, and Croats. And um, that kind of raised the rate, you know, got him up on the radar. Um, but, um, and then the UN was like, what do we do? Um, and the UN at the time wasn't a, they didn't inter, 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 intervene in com, yeah. com, you know, they were peacekeepers or food givers or whatever. And so we know the story of like the Dutch in Severnica being surrounded by the Serbs and basically, you know, they had no, they, 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 could, they were powerless and they marched all these people off and, and massacred them. Um, nuts, that just man. started the whole, it was ethnic cleansing, genocide. So um, it, it was a... Uh, so what was your mission there though? Then what, so you're well, there... at the time for me, it was like in the early 90s, I was at Unit 2 in Stuttgart. So our platoon... Okay, um, I went to Stuttgart once for an annual yeah. training. Did you, for what? Annual training. When oh, I was okay. in the reserves in the army. Yeah, yeah we what, did annual training there because that's the, the only spot we could do it. Yeah, that was the first place. I, I uh, Me and my buddy, we managed to uh, distract a German uh, wine kiosk and we may have, we may or may not have acquired strategically three bottles of uh god what's that wine they drink the white what the white wine not, not rockia no 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 it's in germany oh uh gorschemeter no uh it's a f riesling yes the riesling yes. riesling yeah strategically required based right. off of distraction and uh, okay. uh sleight of guile hand. yeah and there you go KG. Okay, so there you go. You're in Stuttgart. All right, yeah, because I remember there was uh, because I was I don't I didn't know the SEALs guys were there. I knew the because that's Patch Barracks, right, for the army. Yeah, so so yeah. there's Patch. Patch was uh, that was Green Beret dudes. Yeah, that's where Eustace was, I think, right? right? Yeah, uh, 
And Panzer Concern in Bublingen yep. was where 10th group, Charlie 110. Okay. So they were there. And they're the SIF. So um, for, for that, for Yukon, they're the SIF um, commanders in, in extremist force guys. Um, and so they were there and we were, uh, <clears throat> I think we were in Sindelfingen or maybe Patch, I can't, we had a, we had a unit there too. But um, mostly we supported like the guys that were deploying throughout the region. You know, that was the thing, or we did okay. J sets, things yeah. like that. But that, I was just there for, for uh, six months. Um, and then when the, the Bosnia stuff started, actually the early nineties, the, the national force, you know, the, the tier one guys were actually working in there. They were doing, you know, they were doing good stuff. I mean, um, direct action kind of, kind of stuff before, um, before the, the ceasefire and then peace accords. And then after that, it became, um, looking for war criminals. They were the persons indicted for war crimes. They were called PIFWICs. That was the that was the acronym because if you know you have to have an acronym. You do have to have an acronym or else yeah. shit doesn't count. Yeah, and um, so there's multi levels to that. Like if if a guy was rolled up, you know, he was brought to a spot and then he was extradited. And 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 our role, a lot of a lot of our roles sometimes was as on the regular SEAL teams. I wasn't a, I wasn't a member of a of JSOC at the time. Well, they weren't even JSOC then. Um, or they were, yeah, but I wasn't blue or green, you know, right, obviously. So um, we would be the guys that would take them and then put them on the plane and fly them to the Hague. That was it called the Eagle package or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so we got to play, you know, and stuff like that. And then we, and we did a lot of force protection, escorting, escorting people around and, um, you know, every now and then supporting them. That was the early to mid nineties. Um, and uh, then there's stuff going on in Africa, you know, with the West, West Africa and, and whatnot. So, um, you know, there's a lot to say. I don't know what you, what, what you. Yeah, no, I was like, do you, all right, because uh, we're, we're going to get into the GI Jane story here quickly, but um, yeah. I guess someone like yourself, who's came in at a, a pretty, I don't know. You, 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 you highlighted that you joined because of a very specific thing. You know, it was the Iranians bombing that straight and that's why you wanted to come in. But then you came in right as like a very huge major world event took place with the wall. Mm-hmm. Uh, you found yourself in this, like, I guess one of the worst humanitarian issues in, in our time, at least in mine with the whole, the stuff that was going on in Bosnia and, and the other areas you were at. Um, you rolled right into Desert Storm where you, you handed out MREs. That was good. Um, <laughs> and then, well, no, that was before the, yeah, the MREs came before that. So you went that, and then we rolled right into 9-11. And then, so. So the gap. It hasn't ended. Like nothing. Like, have you ever known, have you, or is this just something that, because to me, I get it. And in, 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 in a way I get it. And in a way I'm kind of, I don't know how I feel about it. Not- well, let's just say like, okay, so I did, but by 99, I'd run two, two deployments at SEAL Team 8. They're all six-month deployments. Two deployments at SEAL Team 2, uh, six months. I did six months in Bosnia with a JCO uh, group, uh, Joint Commission Observers. Um, I did three months in, um, you know, as a liaison officer, I do my chief time there. 
uh, at, J at, uh, at uh, was it, Sakur. Um, I'm missing something. Um, and then various little, you know, short little things. So, you know, I'd already done like eight deployments, right? And of course, like they're not all, they're not war deployments, but, but we did yeah. do, we did do things in West Africa where we, when Zaire fell, Mobota Sese Seiko and all that stuff, you know, we went in and, you know, did NEOs, brought people to, and then we went into Sierra Leone, we went into Liberia, we did that stuff, you know. So we were, we were busy doing things. I went into, um, like, we were the first people into the Black Sea after the wall fell, you know, first yeah, people in Romania that's nuts, and Bulgaria. Um, uh, you know, so it's, you know, a lot of, a lot of that kind of experience where you, you get history lessons, but, but at the same time, you're like, ah, man, when are we going to just go start killing people? You know, I mean, that's, you know, let's face it. That's, that's what you want to do, right? You know, you want to, you want to do your job. Um, but because we came, because we came, I came in early when everything did kick off, it was, you know, we were now we're more senior. We're E6s, E7s, E8s, yeah. you know. Um, that's what I'm saying. Like, that's where I tied back into like, you there's, it's hard to fool guys like yourself then. So yeah, well, you're like, and I only bring that up because I'm just curious, like as someone who at that rank where you're really starting to see all this stuff take place, like what were you, what was your, what were you thinking at that point? Like, were you, were you still motivated to do all this stuff? Were you, were you oh, yeah, yeah. why so, behind it? Was it, was there just like, what are we doing? Like, cause none of this has really ended. It really hasn't, it really hasn't ended for probably is when your career is when it all started. Like we're, we're literally looking at like 30 some years of constant deployment, especially for your field, but like, it's not ended. There's no real peacetime. Yeah. And, 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 and to, to that point, I mean, it's one thing to want to deploy and. Yeah. And, and you, I get that. I totally get the young guys who come in. That's all they want to do. Right. But right. now someone is, who's like mid-level or mid-career. Yeah. So the, the difference is that it's like, um, so your mid-career, you're, you're past the 10 year mark. You're like, ah, what do I do? Right. I mean, right. you're trying to make that calculation. Um, what, what we had going for us is you could screen for damn neck. You could screen for dev group. Okay. So I screened for dev group. I got, what uh, is that? What's that? What is, what is the dev group? Uh, a Naval special warfare development group, which now okay, gotcha. thanks to, Joe, uh, Joe, uh, Joe Biden, you know, um, he, um, he's the one who outed him after, um, uh, Neptune spear, you know, after they got, um, he outed, he called him seal team six, right? So, ah, okay. So okay. seal team six. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you have to screen for that. You have to be a certain, you know, rank E5, E6, uh, with X amount of deployments, you go through a screening process, blah, blah, blah. Um, and, you know, they only take, they don't take chiefs very often, E7s, because they want to breed their own chiefs in their system. Um, and, and this is where the difference between the day is when you come into the teams, you, you're, you're a special operations guy, SO. Mm -hmm. That's your MOS. You don't go to Corman school. You don't go to Radioman school. You don't do any of that stuff. Um, but being an earlier guy as a corpsman to make rank, I had to compete with all the other corpsmen in the Navy, right? I had to take a test. So they're looking at me like, how does this guy rank against this guy on the submarine or this guy on the ship? 
what has he done? Right. Right. Um, so, you know, we had to like check certain blocks. Like for us, it's independent duty corpsman school. It's a year long. It's like being a PA. The other one was 18 Delta. So I did 18 Delta as well. Um, of course it was, a, it was a little shorter. I didn't have to do the first, you know, 91 Bravo crap, but, but, you know, we did the, the short course down at JFK. Um, so you had to do those things to uh, be competitive for advancement. Yeah. Right. So that when the yeah. board's looking at your package, they're like, this guy's a 4-0 sailor. He's done this and this and this and good leader, good write-ups, yada, yada. Um, the problem is when I screened to go to the other place, the guys were up front. They're like, hey, you know, we'd love to have you. You know, you're, you're, good, shoot, you're a good shooter. You're a good operator. You know, you fit. We, we, we think you'd work. But I mean, up front, we're going to tell you you're not going to be available for, we're going to get, we're going to get two years out of you because green team is going to last almost a year and we want to get, you know, a year or two out of you deploy wide before you'll be able to go take care of your career moves. Right. And um, so it just didn't line up. Right. Um, and, and, you know, that's cool. It just, that's what the cards were. Um, so right around that time, 98, 99 i found i heard about this other this other place uh and i screened for that and got selected right this other special mission unit in mm-hmm. uh and um so in 99 i went up there and and went through another selection and um and this is seal team 66. it's actually it's actually a uh joint command um Jointly manned special mission unit. Let's leave it at that. Got it. Okay. And uh, I mean, you'd know who it was if I said it, but um, maybe you wouldn't. It doesn't matter. Um, it's, um, it goes back. It's got a great lineage. It goes back to the OSS. And, and it's, it's essentially guys that know hard skills, but they learn how to do things in onesies and twosies. Right, right. right. And... Um, um, so I got there in 99, I went through selection out in, out in, out West, out in Nevada and, um, made it through that. And then I had to go through a year of training, you know, CTQ, CTQC, you know, qualification course training. And then you, um, once you're in, you're, you're out, you're done, you're out operating. So, um, that's when the really fun stuff started happening. So. Uh, we went back into Bosnia at that time, uh, early 2000, and now we're we're actually hunting, hunting people, you know, Karadic and and all these low level guys. And so, wait, back then or right now? No, in in, in the year 2000. Oh, okay, I got you. I was gonna say, man. Yeah. And then um, <laughs> since then, you know, the the unit has um, done a lot of great things. Um, but I did 10, almost 11 years there. And um, um, did a lot of deployments. Yeah, to, I mean, you really have 14 of them from skimming through the bio. and 14, yeah, plus a couple. And you, you never, never, any, never any injuries or anything while you were gone? Or um, uh, You've been pretty fortunate, man. I mean, I get it. You got a lot of surgeries lined up, but you know, you're, you're pretty blessed to be sitting here just shooting the shit with me and drinking bourbon. Yeah, you know, sometimes... Um, you know, like that's why I always respect infantry units. You know, that's why I respect Marines. 
Yeah. And uh, routes cl route clearance guys and rangers and whatnot, because it's like, it's pretty simple. Go destroy that thing. <laughs> go take that, go take that village, right? Yeah, right. Run into the bullets, kill more of them. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, so it's a little, a little different. Whereas me, we're like, okay, we're going to go in first and see what we can see and tell you what's there. And, you know, or we're going to go in and shape something or we're going to yeah. do onesie twosies or do some, some SAP program or restricted handling thing, you know, just, um, and, and it could be, it could be a mundane thing, but it's in the big picture, it, it was really important. So um, as far as, you know, wear and tear goes, um, I went in with um, a group of 10th group guys, agency guys, and then um, us before the war. And we linked up with um, uh, our hosts in the North. And uh, essentially this, this we did- This is Iraq. In Iraq, yeah. yeah okay, so you're 2002, yeah. October till, and so we basically did all the targeting and we went and you know, dimpy to everything. So, um, and then at the same time, we're trying to figure out what's true, you know, like, like, oh yeah, there's West weapons of mass destruction everywhere. And then, then you talk to the source yeah. and find out it's full shit. Um, but we did find like, you know, Russian MiG 23s buried in the sand. Yeah. I remember that story. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> so it's like, you know, who knows? I, my personal feelings, I think, and, and I'm not speaking for anyone. This is, this doesn't represent anyone. I just think that whatever was viable at the time, Saddam sent it to, to Syria. That's what I think. I mean, so you I, saw Syria. Okay. So I'm not speaking for anyone and I am doing exactly what you said. You say Syria, I say Iran. Dude, the Iranians and Iraqis hate each other. Even then when they found yeah. the opportunity to have a joint enemy in us. No, because the the Persians, the Iranians, they're Shia. Yeah. Right. And Sunnis, I mean, they're Sunni, they're Shia Iraqis, you know, yeah. religious wise. But um, in the in the Sunni party of wait, so what is Syria? I thought Syria were the Shias too. Yeah, they are. They are. That's why. That's why there's a. That's why there's a link. Well, not all. Not all of Syria is is. Well, is not Shia. all, but I I always thought. Uh, well, Assad yeah, was a Syrian, right? So that's why. Why would they give it to him if if they're just going to give it to another Syrian? Why not just give it to the Iranians? Well, because the Syrians and the and the and the uh, Iraqis weren't they weren't they were they didn't have any animosity towards each other. Whereas okay. Iran was always looking for an opportunity. Yeah, Baghdadi and all around and find out. Um, I don't know. It, 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 I don't know either. I'm just happened, you, we're just throwing out ideas here based on bourbon. Yeah, yeah, it's it's all conjecture at this point. Um, yep. If, uh, but, but a lot of it was just bad intelligence, to be honest with you. I mean, you know, it's, it, it's the age old thing where if uncle sugar shows up and some, and the word gets out, Hey, they're looking for this. These people aren't stupid, dude. They're going to string you along and, and keep you thinking something's coming. So, and so how did we get the bad intelligence though? I don't know if we got bad intelligence to be honest with you, because where I was, we, our, our, our folks who did that, you know, my job was, was a little different. Um, um, you know, I answered to my chief, but I also answered, I did whatever they, they needed me to do, but also gave ground truth to 
my command and and the guys in uh, Cutter. You know, they were running. They were right, leading. right, right. Got it. Yeah. Um, hey, man, this is what I see. Here's my sit rep. Yeah. Boom. Take it with a grain of salt. Boom. I didn't say that, of course. But um, <laughs> here, here's what. Here's what. Here, I'm your eyes and ear. Directed telescope. Um, and our base, our our chiefs were like writing back, going, "Hey, you know, source." you know, Pinocchio says X, Y, Z. Well, he's not producing the goods. Yeah. Like, in other words, there was plenty of objective, honest pushback back to headquarters, back to USG. But I think the decision had already been made. It was just like, we're doing this. So, you know, Colin Powell goes to the UN. He, he yeah. states his... I remember it well. Yeah, you, you remember that. And, yeah. and at that point, there's truth to a lot of, there's truth to that, what he said. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, it's, it depends on when people say, well, we never found WMDs. Well, I, I've got pictures of me with warheads of rockets that yeah. easily could have been fooled, filled with sarin yeah. or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, like, I, that's I, there. I, that, I, that's I a real thing. I think the problem is, and yeah. you would know this too, but I think what, what the average American who's not in your position or, I mean, regardless of the shit that I've done, which doesn't compare, but I know enough, the average person, when they hear the word weapons of mass destruction or the term WMD, they automatically and only think nuclear weapon. Right. If you go and look at the actual termination or the, the actual terminology of what makes up a WMD, it's pretty vague. Yeah, it's, you know, I mean, it, it specifies, but it, it, there's a lot of things that can fall under it, which is what I think you're alluding to. It's just, yeah, COVID could be a, <laughs> it, I mean, it could, it absolutely could. could. Um, yeah, so, so it's like, you know, I think what people had in mind was when you're hearing the intel, like, yeah, oh, there's, they thought there was going to be this massive nuclear missile the size yeah. of the well, World Trade Center pointed at New York, and it wasn't because that's not how it worked. Right. And, um, Sorry for stepping on you there, but um, the um, there's what you know in the early or the late 80s, Saddam Hussein gassed 18,000 people in Halabja. Kurds. That happened, that happened, right? Oh, um, gas is part of the WMDs, yeah. yeah, exactly. In fact, from our perspective, WMDs was was NBC, yeah, right, right. Um, which is now Seaburn for those most, of you mostly mostly chemical weapons, yeah. right? Um, and and, and he had, the capability was there because, to be quite honest, we probably sold it to them when they're yeah. fighting the Iranians. So we knew what what, what they had. And uh, and that's the part that, you know, from the, the, the early 80s, throughout the 80s, Saddam was our proxy and to fight the Ayatollah, the Iranians, and, and then, you know, the Straits of Hormuz, the oil crisis, all that kind of stuff. And then, um, you know, he, he goes off the rails after that. So um, it, it, it's just a matter of, you know, sometimes Intel intelligence agencies uh, get influenced by objectives and politics yeah. like going to happen. And you got to remember too, I mean, this is like not even, ten, not even, this is, I'm going to sound like Alex Jones almost, but um, <laughs> it, it, remember Saddam tried to kill George Bush Sr., that did happen as well. Yeah. So, I mean, 
you know, if I was his son, I'd be like, I don't give a fuck. Make up some shit so I can go get <laughs> right. <laughs> if it was me, I'd have been just like, hey, set up the pay-per-view bout. We're gonna fight. Yeah. And uh, but but the glorious part was uh was actually what happened. I mean, it was just like once once uh you know, we I I um me and me and I don't want to say I uh team, uh the, the group of guys I was with. Um, we went out, did patrols. We uh, used the the Viper. Remember the Viper, um, the range finder. Uh, yeah, vaguely. Binos, and, and so you okay. could range find something. It would give you a GPS coordinate oh, okay. um, at distance. And so we we basically identified like sixty targets around the Kamal weapons facility up in the mountains there. Um, where Ansar Islam was. <clears throat> and uh, so we had it all on the target deck. Um, then we brought in 10th group, um, 103, first, what is this, 103 and 102, or I guess they're, they're battalions or something like that. Um, we brought those guys in uh, We and we did this big assault on this facility. Um, but the night before, that, well, it was the 28th of March, I guess, when everything kicked off, shock and awe, right? 20 um, yeah, 20 it was, it was the most glorious sound in the world to hear 60 cruise missiles fly over your head and watch them hit all, all these targets. Your targets. That's fucking nuts, man. And um, See, you could have written a book by now. You have so many books written. You just haven't, yeah, just I mean, haven't done it yet. But, but it's done. You know, it's like, it's like, it <laughs> it's wasn't, <done. laughs> yeah, it's like, it's like, why do I want to write a book? You know, I mean, if I'm going to write a book, it's going to be about the fact that my kids don't know anything about what I've done so far, right? They're That's just a good not- book, also. Like, there's a lot of options here. Yeah, I went to when we went to Arlington. How um, old are your kids? Seven and five. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, they got some learning to do. Yeah, so I met my wife after I retired, and um, probably for the best. Yeah, yeah, she's she's uh she's <laughs> smart and met her over in Africa and um, uh, yeah, that's another podcast. Yeah, let's do that. Yeah. We'll do that. We'll do the follow-up. Every time I get someone in the Navy on, I got to do a part two. So why not? Yeah. Yeah. But, but the thing was, it's like, um, uh, you know, she didn't know what I did. And, um, and then I ended up working for the cousins for a little while. If you know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. After. Um, Interesting. After a while, I, was, I, I, I did some um, some time with them and and started the family. So once once we tried to start a family, it was like my priorities shifted. You know, fair. You know, no more no more taking contracts, no more deploying. I mean, and it, it's probably a good thing because the the mid two thousand ten from two thousand twelve to two thousand what eighteen you know, more and more, I mean, they, they, those guys, you know, suffered a lot of, a lot of losses. I went to a lot of funerals, but, yeah. um, but it was good. I mean, I, I guess where I'm trying to fill in the blank. Um, um, you're, we're still in Iraq. Where do you want, where do you want to know? Well, so what I want now, because we're going to, we're going to wrap it, we're going to wrap it up B. Um, no, give me that GI Jane story with uh, Demi hmm. Moore. All right. So first, I got two stories, right? All right, here we go. So I'm a new guy, still teammate. I mean, so new 
and green that I don't have enough common sense to realize that I, I, I had a, a Jeep CJ7, right? And uh, <laughs> so I thought, I'm going to get a personalized plate, right? <laughs> and I got this plate that said seal dock. Cause I'm a doc. I'm a corpsman, right? That's <laughs> original. I'm surprised it was even registered in that state yet. Yeah. That's and uh, I'm driving around and I get pulled in and uh, some of the guys are like, the, the senior dudes are like, bruh. Bruh. <laughs> bruh. <laughs> <laughs> so that didn't last long. So I took care of that business, right? Um, uh, and then what's funny is I'm in like uh, one of the local bars in Virginia beach and what, when did they make Navy SEAL with Charlie Sheen? It was like 89 it's or 80s. I thought it was 86. No, nah, no, nah, it wasn't that. It was one. early. Hold on. I got this. Keep okay. going. 89 ish. Because I remember, or 88. No, no, it couldn't have been 88. It had to be 90. Uh, Yeah, you're right. Okay, 1990, July 20th. Okay, so 25 million bucks. Wow, what? not very big hit. No, it, it only cost 21 to make, so they made some money. So there we go. So, I love that movie. It just cracks me up. It's, it's, it's a funny movie, man. I love it. Um, <laughs> so it anyone with Charlie been, Sheen in it is great. So It would have been one, way funnier if it wasn't for me. Let me tell you. I, 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 <laughs> oh, here we go. Here it comes. So I'm in this bar drinking, <laughs> and in comes uh, Michael Bean. All right? Michael Bean's the commander of, uh, of the platoon. Charlie mm. Sheen is the junior officer, right? And or Michael B. might been might been the task force commander. I don't know who played him. Uh, Michael Bean, that's his name. Oh, the, oh there it is. All right, yeah. got it. I'm sorry. Yeah. All right, got him. Oh, okay. I know this guy. Yeah, you know yeah, guy. yeah. Oh, yeah. I remember this dude. <laughs> I'm bar. I think it's like the World Series, like the A's and the Dodgers or something like that, right? And and I'm rooting for the A's, of course, right? Since I yeah, cause fuck the Dodgers. That's why. I, I went to used to go to my grandma lived in Bay Farms, so I would go up there and. Spend the summers learning how to make the perfect bourbon and cokes for her. That's awesome. A, this is, we got we we missed half of what we were supposed to talk about, but it's fine. Yeah, and, and that's uh, how these work. That's how they work. <laughs> um, how so anyway, I'm sitting there, I'm watching, uh, and then come here comes Charlie Sheen with his entourage, right? But Bean and I are like just chatting it up. Like I didn't recognize him. I didn't know who he was, right? Yeah. And um, um. He's asking me like, "Hey, yeah, what are you doing? You know, who are you?" And we're just chatting. I said, oh, "I'm in the, I'm in the teams." He's like, "Oh, really? What are you doing?" I said, "I'm a corpsman." Um, I go, really? He said, "Really?" Well, right then in the in the middle of the movie, they fired their director for whatever reason. I don't know the politics of it. And um, and he said, "Hey." Uh, uh, then Charlie came in. He sat down, and and he introduced me, and we're talking. And he said, "Hey, this hey, this guy Andy, he's a corpsman." Um, Hey, would you mind like meeting us like in the next day or two to go over some script? Rick Rosovich plays the medic in our platoon, right? And we don't think we don't think the scene is right the way he treats the guy. And I'm like, and I just done 18 Delta, right? <laughs> so I used to drive around with a freaking med bag, hoping someone would have a car accident so I could with the license plate seal doc. No, 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 that was the long dog. But shit. That, I still have the plate, but but you um, should you should have donated it to him. You should have said, "Hey, make him wear this and put this on his car in the movie." Yeah, I got my ass kicked. <laughs> That's why I took it off, right? You know, basically. 
<laughs> I'm senior guys. Um, you know, you get rigors taped and stuck into the into the dip tank with a snorkel in your mouth. It'll change your mind, right? You know. Um, and uh, anyway, so I'm like, uh, yeah, I guess so. You know, so I showed up and we we went over the script and he's telling me what's happening and it's the typical, oh, chief's chief's not gonna make it. And they close the eyes. I'm like, well, what did you do? How'd you treat him? You know. Did you, I mean, what were the, what were the wounds? You're the doc. I mean, what did you see? What's the group? The script didn't say anything about, you know, hey man, he's been hit in the chest. I, you know, he's yeah. got, you know, second chest wound, blah, blah. So we rewrote it and we made it look a little bit better. And, and, and so he, he uses some of the, the correct verbiage. If you watch that scene again, he's like, he'll say something like, yeah, hey, second chest wounds. I've got compression. I got a seal, blah, blah, blah. Um, and, and help that out a little bit. And then, um, what was there? there was some other thing I gave some kind of you know cheesy advice on but um I think it was because I didn't really give a shit that I met them that yeah. they even talked to me right well yeah, yeah. that's advice. usually how it works with anybody yeah yeah so but Michael Bean's a cool dude so is Rick Rosovich I mean he's a, if you remember him from uh Top Gun he was the uh he was Iceman's real Oh yeah, 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 yeah. No, I like, yeah. I, I, I mean, when you finally remember, when I realized who it was, but that Michael Bean guy, he always looked like a, he always looked like a cool dude. He didn't look like yeah, a dick. He, he, I think he was a seal in like one of the Aliens movies too, right? <laughs> um, and then hey, uh, you so got that typecast going. GI, here's here's your GI Jane. GI Jane, here we go, Demi Moore. So here no shit, there I was. So GI Jane comes out, and. Um, <clears throat> I saw that movie in the theaters with my my dad as a kid. And that was like, when was that? That had to be early 1997. 1997. Was it 97? Yeah. Really? Yeah. August 22nd, okay. 1997. So that's why I was salty. That makes sense. Yeah, I'm, you'd been in a while at this point. <laughs> well, no, I'm, because what I did, I, I, I'm trying, I, I thought it was earlier, but. I did too. I thought it was like 93, but yeah, apparently 97. Yeah. There you go. So you had some, some of the old Vietnam era frogs who retired and, and they were advisors on the script and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, Hey, gee, I, you know, Demi Moore's. So every year the seals do a reunion, right? Mm -hmm. They do a West coast reunion. They do an East coast reunion. And it's a, it's a four day affair. It's a great time. Um, people meet, the meeting house is where everybody gets together. It's a chief's club. Hey man, haven't seen you forever. It's free. Everything's free. Uh, Saturday is uh, like a, a golf turn or I maybe mean, it's Thursday's a golf tournament. Friday's a meeting house. Saturday is uh, a capex, like a demonstration, you know, where mm -hmm. they kind of do the, the heritage of the seal community, like NCDU, World War II, oh, UDT, cool. okay. Korea, seal teams, um, <clears throat> And then today, modern modern cape, cape capabilities. Um, and then after that, later in the evening, there's a big beach party down at the Naval Amphibious Base um, Enlisted Beach. It's a band. All the beers free, you know. Is everything? It's just a big raging party. And then uh, someone said, "Hey, man, Demi Moore's here." I'm like, "What? Yeah, yeah, Demi Moore with." And and there's like three of these old freaking old dudes is are like a little entourage, like security dudes, right? You know, three, uh, well, they'd be old. I'd be their age, I guess now, <laughs> but, but it's like, you know, they were, they were capitalizing on, on the thing. And so she's walking around and, um, 
I'm smoke a bunch of us are like we're smoking cigars and drinking beer and doing all that stuff. And um, so I thought, all right, I, I, I'm gonna go talk to her. And we're like, what? They're like, what? Yeah. So I grab a, a fresh beer out of the tap and I grab a beer for myself. And I said, hey, Demi, I walked up to her and I said, hey, Demi, um, you like beer? You know, because beer in the SEAL teams is like, you know, like every Friday we tap, we tap a keg at noon. <laughs> okay. Man, that's that's how it is. This we, do, we do field, field day, clean everything. Well, no, first we do a monster mash. You know, like run, swim, run, whatever. Yeah. Come back, clean the place up, pop a, you know, tap a keg, and then the weekend starts, right? Um, but so I, it's it's an evening. I'm I, I won't say I was lit, but but I was just typically in my state. Yeah. And I walked up and said, "Hey," uh, and I had a cigar and everything. And uh, Demi, you like you know, so you you you're you you're a frogman, and she laughed or something like that. I said, "You like beer, then, right?" And I offered it to her and she said, oh no, I don't drink beer. So this is, this is Demi Moore talking, right? Oh. Okay. Not realizing her environment, right? Exactly. I'm like, what? You don't drink beer? I mean, why not? You know, oh, whatever. I'm like, oh, that's, that's, I, I, that's fucked up. And I just took the beer and I turned and I, I poured it on her feet. <laughs> and, and no, you did not. Threw, threw the cup down and walked away. And um, yeah, it's like, and those guys would look at me like, I'm like, hey, fuck you guys, you know, whatever. I walked away because I'm like, hey, if you're gonna if you're gonna be ballsy enough to invade a seal reunion, then you better be ready to play. Hey, when in Rome, right? Yeah, exactly, right. And uh, the funny thing was, last week, okay, this this will this will be a good wrap up, I think, unless you want to. You know, unless you got anything else, and there's more. Wrap this shit up, B. <laughs> so, so a buddy of mine, I have Nationals season tickets. Okay. And um, love baseball. Same. Um, I'm gonna make a lot of money on the Giants when they come into town. I'm telling I'm you. Telling that. you, go Giants. Um, Free money right Rogers now. And the Padres. Oh my God, I, I I am up so large right now. Just every month. So hold on, let me give you a thing to do for baseball. Right. So a always whatever it is with your team, feel free to do it, but. This specific line of betting goes all the way back to, I think, 98, the 98 season. If you look, even today, any team who is favored on the money line at minus 135 up to minus 199, if you bet them for the last, like, we're going 23 years, you're at 63%. Oh, really? Okay. So literally every day, I just throw five bucks on every one of these teams, right? Right. As long as it's minus 135 to minus 199. And I always bet I always bet on the Giants no matter what, because especially so, against the Dodgers, because they're, they're such underdogs. So I always start every season, whatever I do, I always start with 100 bucks, right? So for this baseball season, I started with 100 bucks, again, just doing the same $5 thing every time, uh, because I like it. It's fun. It gives me something to do every day, but I'm right. at... It's it's up to one fifty two. And just think, if that was Tesla stock. Oh my goodness! Yep. Or, well, now or, we're we're doing Dogecoin, Drew. We're doing Dogecoin. Yeah. Someone's got to give me an education on that. I have no idea. I'm I just so upside it. down. I'm upside down, but I'm so leveraged in um, season tickets right now. I'm just nice. Um, 
But anyways, um, yeah. Okay. So here we go. So, so a, a partner of mine who was one of the agency CEOs who I worked with in Iraq, I re, I, uh, back in 2002, 2003, we reconnected and he's a baseball fanatic, right? So he's retired now. Um, he became a partner. We have four seats behind, uh, the dugout, like six. Oh, wow. Nice. We've been seeing plant holders since 05. From so we're day one guys, you know, for the nationals, for the nationals, yeah. We, I mean, yeah. we we've worked our way. Yeah. You know, so you've gone the World Series games and everything. Went to World Series, dude. I went to World Series. Went to uh, all the playoff games. Um, been to three no hitters. Oh wow! My daughter Damn. has seen more hitters than you have. That's fucking <clears throat> nuts. Seven, right? Damn. Anyway, it's fucked up, but all right. So <laughs> my my buddy Mark. Um, uh, you know the book that's out now called The Three Wise Men I've heard of it someone mentioned it yeah, on the, yeah like, so was that you that mentioned that I think maybe? I might have mentioned yeah, it yeah no no I've definitely I've heard brother. the book okay yeah okay so Jeremy Weiss um, Ben and Bo Jeremy joined as a seal yeah okay right well, okay yeah this was you okay yeah and then um, he um, he did his you know, eight years or whatever. And then he went over and worked for GRS and uh, for, for the cousins and um, his brother, Ben joined the army, became an SF, SF guy. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, and then the youngest Bo joined the Marine Corps. So um, in Chapman catch camp Chapman out in, in host um, there was that asset, the Jordanians sent us the doctor that was supposed to know right. some of it on yada yada. And he ended up, um, the GRS guys, the guys who do all the, the protection, um, advised the chief of the base, like, hey, don't, don't bring him into the compound. I mean, don't, don't get starstruck, just follow protocol. You know, we bring him to a spot. We, we make him stand and show himself, you know, the, the typical, like, make sure he's not armed, yada, yada. And she blew all that off. The guy came, she invited him in the compound and he blew up and killed nine, nine people, right? One of them being Jeremy. Okay. So that's the older brother of, of Bo. And then later on, there was another op in uh, Afghanistan that um, where uh, the, his SF brother, uh, Ben got killed. And uh, oh, shit. Uh, my partner uh, has kind of guilt remorse because he had a lot to do with that asset, the original <laughs> asset. And then yeah. he was there when the other op happened. So he's, he's got his own, his, his own demons he's dealing with. But, but to make it right, um, Bo, they, Bo wrote the book. And what we tried to do is get the nationals to, um, he said, hey, and he's, a, he's a partner of mine now. He said, um, can we get the Nationals to kind of like let Bo throw out the first pitch or, or, or play? Yeah, 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 that'd be cool. And uh, one thing came to another and we made, managed to make it happen. So That's last cool. week, oh, um, cool. we went to a game and he threw out the first pitch and he got nice. well treatment. They showed a little montage of his family, his brothers. And, uh, uh, you know, it was, it was just a really great thing awesome. it's, it's like uh it's almost like the dakota meyer story not quite that yeah. i don't know if you've read dakota meyer's book or not i haven't mm -mm. have you read have you have you listened to the jocko podcast for that no 
three hours I'm long. I'm horrible dude. at listening to podcasts. I'm yeah, I'm too. But one night I turned it on at like one, and I didn't shut it off till four, and I was like, "Holy shit!" What he had, what he had to do, right? Yeah. I mean, there's just some, all these just untold stories of just, you know, yeah. great, great yeah. Americans. But anyway, so the. Um, the the Bo Weiss thing, you know, I ended up talking to him. This this ties up the 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 um, Demi Moore story. Yep, here it is, rounding third. So we're uh, if we get rained at, we get this thunderstorm. We got to go up into the club. We're drinking. I'm like, what are you drinking? We're like, we've got like stacks of you know Maker's Mark, you know, just pounding that stuff. And we we're talking about something, and and yeah, and somehow it came about about you know seal movies and then just gi jane and and i said oh yeah i know i know demi moore and, and i started to talk and he goes wait a minute stop Did, were you the guy that poured the beer on demi moore's feet sure the fuck that's was. What my brother told me. i'm like <laughs> yeah that was me and, and he's like holy shit he just like <laughs> made my freaking year right you know, <laughs> you know, you know i'm like I didn't think anything of it. I thought, you know, fuck this bitch, you know, you know, whatever. But, um, and and it was just it was just kind of like this full circle thing, you yeah. know, where we're sitting there and and uh, I'm, I'm hugging this young Marine who's um, he's dealing with a lot of issues, you know. Yeah. But, but the book, uh, I recommend it because it, it honors his brothers, you know. Yeah. And um, uh, you know, he's he's a good old boy from Arkansas. Mm-hmm um yeah let's fucking finally order that shit i'm gonna order that as soon as we get done here yeah and then the last thing i want to say is um maybe for future conversation i'd like i'd like to talk to you about kind of what you know a lot of me a lot what i've done and what other people have done to kind of like come to grips and reckon with our careers yeah and and um that you know it's not all traumatic right most of it is body chemistry changes you know most of it's like you know it's um it's scientific it's like and, there, and there's some great new ways of the, the vets are being prepared to enter into the world uh with uh, proper nutrition and, and cognitive yeah. behavioral therapy and uh you know whatnot so um right. for me next, you want to do it next week yeah yeah we can do it, we right. can do it. well let's just do it next week yeah um Sorry, it took so long for me to. No, get- it's never it's never too long. It's yeah. this is perfect. Uh, but yeah, let's do exactly what you just said. We'll we'll pick it up there next week, and and we'll just do part two. Like I said, everybody from the Navy gets part two. Because <laughs> we talk too much. Talk about our uh, books. I well, yeah, and and you you need to write one. It seems like sounds nah. like nah, maybe not yet, but we'll get it. I mean, yeah. All right. Hey, so Drew, I do appreciate you uh, spending your night with me. We're going to wrap it up there. We're going to pick this up next week. So everybody, please watch this one, like it, subscribe to it, write a review on Apple, Spotify, wherever you find your podcast, wherever you see this stuff on YouTube. Uh, We'll see Drew back here next week. And uh, maybe we can get him to find one of these bottles between now and then, but it's an IW Harper 15 year. There you go. Is that the one with the guy walking? Uh, I think it is. Yep. He's got hit. He's walking. Well, he's, he's like, He's bent over. He's like he's like he's tipping his cap with his uh, right, right. Yeah, he's, like an English, he's an Englishman. Yeah, I mean yeah. this the stuff's incredible. If you find it between now and then, please do yourself a favor, pick it up. All right. Why are you such a Why are you such a Bob Dylan hater? 
Who said I was hating Bob Dylan? Just don't know anything about him. Heaven's Door? Yeah, I, well, my thing with Heaven's Door and anything, I don't, it's the same stuff with Maddie's wine stuff. There's so many people that were involved in alcohol and they don't, they're just trying to make money off their name. Like, yeah, I, I see that. You know what I mean? I, like, I don't know anything about Bob Dylan's involvement. I just know Bob Dylan's old and I'm pretty sure he doesn't know anything about what the fuck he's doing with bourbon. And if he does, great. I'm just going to go out on a limb and say he's just not really that involved on the day to day. That's all. Well, next time we talk, I want to I want to get an education from you on on bourbons and rice. Like let's we're gonna do it. Hey, we'll do it. It's either next Tuesday or next Wednesday. You pick. We'll do it same time. All right, man. Yes, sir. All right, brother. Let me stop this. Oh, look at that. He got the salute going. I can't. Oh wait. Fuck. You outrank me. I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, you retired as a lieutenant.